You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Huh? Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? We kicked its ass. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Film Feast podcast. I am your host, Matt Bledsoe, and after a little break, we are back. What better way to come back than by talking about a Martin Scorsese movie? Because we are talking about After Hours. Um, help me talk about it. I am joined by one of the nicest men on Twitter, <laughs> one of my favorite guys to talk movies with. It's Preston Mitchell. Preston, how you doing? I'm good, Matt. Uh, thank you again for having me back, and especially because it's your big return episode. So I'm I'm very honored to be here. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I it's funny because I made a I don't know I say a big deal about this like whole break hiatus thing, and then I felt like it probably didn't seem that long of a break because like we had an episode at the end of September, and then one in the middle of October, and this is going to come out the end of November. So. I, I don't know. people, And then I was on a lot of guest spots. So people might be like, what break, Matt? You never really went away. <laughs> I don't know. I hope we were missed. Um, but I don't know. So um, I'm glad to have you here. Talk about a wonderful movie by one of our best directors. Not to just, we'll just jump right, not to jump right in. But, um, but yeah, I think you just posted about After Hours. And the Criterion 4K just came out. And like, light bulb went off my head. And I said, oh, let's get pressed on about after hours. <laughs> so, um, and Martin Scorsese has been everywhere right now because he's promoting, oh, yeah. he's been promoting kills of the flower moon. <laughs> and, oh yeah. If I cough a lot, everybody, I have a two month post COVID cough that won't go away. So I hope to keep it to a minimum, but, um, it's been very annoying anyway. <laughs> so, um, he's been everywhere. So I feel like Scorsese was on my mind. It was like, it just all the things aligned to do this. So I'm glad to have you here for this episode. Um, getting rolling again i have missed doing the podcast um i did do a lot of podcasts you know i was like i got a lot of episodes of other people's shows um which i'm very thankful for but uh yeah we should be back to a pretty regular uh rotation here every monday again if people like i know people it's a dangerous kind of game to play to like go dark on your podcast because i've heard people say like you take a little break you can like lose people you gotta keep them every week but i'm you know i need a break I feel very good. I feel refreshed. I'm back. I think I'm ready to go. Um, so um, you went yeah, after I, hours. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel as tired as poor Paul in the movie. Uh, but like, I still, I, it's, I need a break. I need to go home. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you for being here. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to have you and talk about all I'm, all kinds of stuff. I don't know where we're going to go because after hours is kind of like all over the place in, in the best way. Um we can talk about anything. So, but we should start as we usually do talk about stuff we've seen lately. I'm curious what you've been watching lately. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, I brought, I brought a few things to the table. I made sure, um, um, I, I think the past couple of times I've like really like tried to be like, okay, if I'm going on film feast, let me talk about some film PC, uh, <laughs> types of movies. I always try, I always try to bring the, 
bring the even though I would say like um, all three of these movies are classy in their own way. Um, I actually my first uh, uh, the, the the first movie on my list uh, is actually a recommendation from you and um, because you you were on a podcast recently with like uh, I think it was Lindsay and Mark and Hayden about like it was a Halloween podcast oh, yeah 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 <laughs> yeah yeah that was a great episode and I loved listening to it and I've been kind of in a black and white horror mood the past couple of 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 Octobers. And uh, and it's made me realize, okay, I haven't revisited a lot of the Universal Monster movies in a long time, and there's also mm -hmm. many I haven't seen. And so, uh, when you guys talked about House of Frankenstein, I was like, okay, this sounds like kind of what I'm in the mood for. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's a movie that I didn't even know existed until oh, wow. <laughs> um, about a, about a year ago. And your podcast reminded me to to get on that. And uh, basically, if, if people don't know um, uh, or I've never heard of it, it's uh, 1944, directed by Earl C. Kenton, and uh, essentially it's kind of like a a um, one of the early crossover movies, at least in in old Hollywood times, where it's Dracula, the Wolfman, Frankenstein, um, a character who's similar to the Hunchback uh, of of yesteryear. I saw him as kind of like a mix of the Hunchback and Igor, um, and then you have a mad scientist played by Boris Karloff. And uh, I, I thought it was just a blast. Uh, I, I really, I, I thought, I was like, man, okay, like uh, Larry Talbot, the Wolfman, uh, he's a simp in this movie. I always welcome that. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's really not a whole lot of plot mechanics to speak of. So it's actually a perfect primer for, I think, for After Hours, because it, it, you just kind of go with the flow. <laughs> you just kind of, I mean, no yeah. offense to the movie. You just kind of no, go with no. the flow of it. Yeah, it's a fun monster mash movie. It's just it's it's all about the the vibes. It's like you put on like at a Halloween party or something. It's like I mean, it's basically a movie of like two different halves. I forgot about the episode like so Dracula part in the first half and then Frankenstein Wolfman stuff in the back half. Um, And I mean, it's just a fun movie. It's not like the it's not the best put together thing in the world because it's kind of uh, just the excuse to get the monsters together. But I really enjoy it. I think it's very fun. So I'm glad you I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, it, it was it was so good that even the complaints that uh, we all have about John D Carradine as Dracula, after a while, I was like, okay, his faux Lugosi stare is is weirdly funny to me, so I'm going to continue <laughs> to go on this ride. And uh -huh. the way he just kind of dies from like uh, the sun at the end, I was like, oh, that's it. Okay, awesome, more <laughs> monsters. So yeah, I. I... <laughs> it's it's a it's a blast and a half, and and but Karloff. I think is legitimately amazing as the mad scientist. At first I was like, ah, oh, he's not Frankenstein in this one. Cause I had just rewatched um, a, a couple of weeks before um, uh, Frankenstein and brighter Frankenstein. And I for I completely forgot how amazing those movies are. I, I fucking yeah. love brighter Frankenstein. That's amazing. <laughs> but um, uh, it was really cool to see Karloff be the mad scientist. And, and uh, I think he really shines in roles like that. Um, I don't know if you've seen Matt, have you seen the black cat by chance? I think so. I don't remember. <laughs> I'll go to my letterbox um, to remind me if I saw Black Cat. Because there's all those, like, uh, universal movies that aren't, like, the monster folk, like Frankenstein. Right. And, like, the Black Cat. I'm th there's other ones I'm trying to think of. Um, uh, I have seen Black Cat, and it looks like I liked it. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> who knows when I watched it? Um, but, uh... Yeah. Well, I, I mention I'm only mention it because uh, Karloff is a mad scientist in that movie. So I I really and that's one of my favorite roles of his. That was a discovery for me. La uh, this 
uh, October 2022. Mm. So um, to see him in that black cat mode again, where um, he's going against Lugosi, where Lugosi to me has always been um, kind of like a, uh, I feel like he wants to like, just like, hate to do this this early in the podcast, but I feel like he just wants to have sex with everyone. Like, anytime I see him in a movie, he's just like, yes, yeah. Like, he just, he has this, like, uh, this way about him that, where I'm just transfixed by how non-transatlantic he is. Like, he's truly an alien. So to put him up against Karloff, uh, where Karloff, I think, can just play anything. I think he was, he just has this Hugh Jackman level of ray of talent. Um, I thought he, to me, he was actually the one of the big reasons to see this movie, if not the 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 one legitimately amazing thing about it. Because everything else is is just fun. It's fast paced. It's seventy one minutes, I think, which I'm never going to complain about. So yeah, yeah. I said sixty three when I looked it up. It's like, that's what I love about those old Universal horrors. They're so short. It's like yeah, they get in, they get out. It's great. Uh, it's like. <laughs> Uh, that's my kind of movie. Movie should be shorter, except never mind. We talked about something off mic. I don't want to. Freak. Oh yeah, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I won't go back in that water. But uh, maybe not every movie should be shorter. But they should, you know, be short but make sense. Is what I'm saying. Um. Anyway. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, what else have you seen? Let's... Uh, well, um. Uh. The the second one I have uh today uh, for you tonight is um. <clears throat> excuse me. I think your COVID costs are rubbing off on me. Goodness. Oh, no. It's but, uh, <laughs> across the country. <laughs> somehow through the osmosis of webcams. Um, uh, actually, so it's November at the time of this recording, or we're still at kind of at the near the beginning of it. And uh, it's something I like to participate in. I, I Noir is one of my favorite genres, or just crime fiction in general is something that I just cannot get enough of, whether it's crime films, murder mysteries, procedurals, uh, gangster stuff. I, I always love that kind of thing. And um, uh, there was one that um, I, I had recommended to me rec- uh, actually several months back that like, I was like, okay, I'll keep that like in the, in the, you know, in the tug for November. And so I finally checked it out this weekend. It's amazing. It's a movie called Scandal Sheet from 1952 and uh, basically, Broderick Crawford uh, stars as editor Mark Chapman, who I look at as 1950s Eddie Brock without the Venom suit, because <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> he's very imposing. He, like he's, he, he literally does not need a supervillain suit because he's so imposing just his build. Mm-hmm. But um, he gives a really good performance as uh, someone who runs a trashy but financially successful tabloid newspaper in New York City. And then he has a hotshot crime reporter played by John Derrick and a, fe- and a feature writer who's played by Donna Reed from It's a Wonderful Life. Um, she is in, by the way, she's in full on. So it, how can I put this? Imagine Mary and It's a Wonderful Life, like that parallel universe sequence where like she's like afraid of Jimmy Stewart for whatever reason. And um, uh, um, and but instead of being fearful, she's just kind of like focused and determined that's kind of how she is in this movie so it's a very unique mode uh for donna reed by the way but anyways uh so roger crawford attends a lonely hearts club publicity stunt where he's shocked to run into his wife who he abandoned two decades before so it turns out he has a completely different identity like uh like it's it's like a an, it becomes an episode of Mad Men or something like that and then he ends up killing her by accident 
And so this starts a spree of killings where he uh, where it, it, he cultivates this uh, image in the, in, the, in the tabloids that he runs and uh, it becomes the race between how can I, how can I uh, essentially, how can I get my own feature and uh, tabloid writers off my trail while I'm trying to cover up my crimes and, and cover up my own identity. And it's a really, it's a very tight film, uh, 80 minutes. Um, it reminds me a lot of a, um, a movie called Shakedown that I saw earlier this year from 1950. Oh, it's I watched that because uh, it was on Keith's Discoveries last year, I think. And it's yes. got a, a Kino. And like, I think I bought it cheap in a sale and I watched it not too like a couple months ago, probably. It was really good. It was shockingly dark for 1950. Um, and that reminded me of Nightcrawler a little bit. The, oh, the yeah. The Gyllenhaal movie. Um, so, yeah, that that was a really good movie. Shaytown's really good. People should definitely check that out. That's like, I think now me, you, Daniel, Keith all vouching for Shakedown. <laughs> so. And Shakedown's awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> and Shakedown is, Shakedown has that scandal sheet level of darkness. Um, I, I think Shakedown is a little more, uh, it's, pro it's probably in terms of quality a little bit better than scandal sheet. But nonetheless, I, I think they make a great double feature just because Roger Crawford is so, like I said, like he is like, that villain character who mm -hmm. you still get his motivations. There's amazing gritty New York city atmosphere. Cause I watched it off of YouTube in HD. I, I found an HD stream on YouTube, uh, but it's also on Tubi as well uh, for people who um, love finding old movies on Tubi, but yeah, great atmosphere, really great performances. Uh, um, um, the, the crimes and stuff. And, and I, I talk about Crawford's character being evil, but also John Derrick isn't super, he's the protagonist of the movie technically, but at the same time, he's not moral either. Because the movie literally begins with her, with uh, him interviewing a person. Uh, I'm not going to say what happens at the beginning, but she's like crying and stuff like that. And like, just mm -hmm. like whimpering and stuff. And then immediately he's like, okay, good guys. Um, take this and we're going to make a story out of this. She's like, oh my God, you're a reporter? Like, screw you and all this stuff in 1940s <laughs> language. And yeah. so it's... Uh, and <laughs> Take a walk, you big louse. I don't know. <laughs> I don't All the translatic accents. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how everyone talked back then, right? I'm still, so I want to believe everyone talked like that all the time. <laughs> it's part of the fun of it. It really is. But it's super fun movie, super tight. It's yeah. so far, it's my favorite Noir Vember discovery of, of the month. I, I, I really, really enjoyed the hell out of it. I, I highly recommend Scandal yeah. Sheet. That sounds very interesting. The premise is very interesting. I'm intrigued. Is there is that easily available? Do you have a DVD or a Blu-ray, or is it just like you watch on Prime? Or do you remember we watched it? Oh, um, YouTube, and then it's also on Tubi as well. Oh, so good it's, old... it's 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 yeah, oh. it's readily available. <laughs> good old Tubi. <laughs> like, oh, and yeah. one last thing about Scandal Sheet. It's uh, based on a novel by Samuel Fuller, who's one of oh, like yeah. the big film noir legends and. Um, he didn't write the script, but it still has that fuller style of dialogue. So if anyone needs to be sold on, besides the premise of why to see scale sheet, if you're a fuller person, definitely check it out for that lineage. Mm -hmm. All right, cool, cool. Um, what else you got? Uh, lastly, uh, this is, um, cause I figured one of us was going to bring this movie up at some point. Cause I it's think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I <laughs> I'm excited. It's the, Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's the big Netflix movie of the month, and uh, it's uh, or I guess so far this month of the week. Let me right. put it this that week. Way. I will say until next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It kind of shut down. It shut down uh, Twitter for a little bit. I feel like it's like oh snap. <laughs> 
David Fincher's the killer. Um, that's what I saw um, this past week. And uh, essentially the plot, um, if for people who, for listeners who don't know or haven't seen it yet, um, it, it the hook is that it follows an, uh, an unnamed professional assassin played by Michael, Michael, Michael Fassbender, um, who stakes out a Parisian hotel room. So after, after this hit that may or may not have gone well, we don't know until you see the movie, um, <laughs> he flies back to the Dominican Republic uh, where, he, where his girlfriend is, is found to be um, uh, assaulted. And so he kind of goes on... Um, it, 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 the movie is kind of a mix between um, you following kind of the, the, the process and the meticulousness of, of what it is to be a contract killer through mm-hmm. Michael Fassbender's performance and narration, in which there's a lot of narration. And then the other half kind of is, is a loose revenge plot, which may or may not trip up uh, viewers, depending on your expectations. Um, so I'll get this out of the way because I did want to talk <laughs> about this with you. I really liked the movie. I really liked it. Uh, for some reason, though, when the movie ended, I felt a little cold on it. And um, there were a couple. There was a couple people I talked to about this weekend where one person felt similarly, and the other person was just way more extreme. Not ext- okay, sorry, not extreme, but like <laughs> was way more, way more favorable to it, enthusiastic. And I and I I envy that. So, but I, I did have a few. Uh, I did have a few issues with it that I think are legitimate and maybe some that are lost on me, but I'm, I'm very curious what you thought. Well, I really, really liked it. I think it's going by letterbox ratings. I liked it a little more than you. If I had to mm-hmm. like, if those mean anything, but uh, I, <laughs> the, the big sticking point people seems to be the Michael Fassbender narration. Like mm-hmm. that seems to be like a love it or hate it thing. Um, I kind of loved it. Kind of like mm-hmm. I didn't mind it at all. Like I was like he says some like <clears throat> like kind of I don't know like weird like makes some weird jokes like in his like his narration. What would John Wilkes Booth do? What would John Wilkes Booth do? It's like what? <laughs> um, I was kind of like fascinated by the like by Michael Fassbender is such a interesting, fascinating actor to watch. Like I like the killer. I never seen Shame. It'll be shame. I haven't. I, I've been interested for a long time. Really good. Yeah. And that's kind of like him carrying that too, because it's like you just have to, it's so focused on him. And then the killer is like so focused on like him and what he's doing. Um, somebody put out there a, a theory about the killer, which I kind of liked that was like that he thinks he's really cool, Michael Fassbender, but he's not. Like, that he's <laughs> like in his mind, he's like super cool. And if you think of him as kind of like, a bozo that it's like because you know, like, um, he's it's kind of god there's so much like it's funny because i was watching it and when it ended i think that the ending kind of it just kind of ends like it doesn't mm-hmm. have any big the movie really doesn't seem like it has any big revelations it, but like people were like why dare fincher make this um what's the point well so <laughs> That was something that I did say in my <clears throat> in, in my review was uh, like I can't I can't f- at the time of writing the reviews I wrote it so soon after seeing the movie but then I thought about it, I, I amused about it a little bit more in my head and I was like okay um, at first it was like because the whole idea of a of an auteur filmmaker much like After Hours which we'll talk about I'm sure we'll talk about uh, pretty soon like uh, the whole idea of a of an Oscar level talent attacking a B movie. Uh, a beam like a beam a b movie premise like this right <laughs> that really got to me and like people who know me know like like film noir like 
hitman movies, like 60s, 70s style actioners and stuff like that. Like that's that's kind of my one of my cups of tea. Uh, and it's always really excited to see the killer. I I will say I I do mostly like the narration. My only thing about it is that I feel like there's almost too much for me, for me. Cause like, and I there's love the parts where he, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of it. And like, cause the thing about me is that, uh, is that I really love physical acting. Like I think more so than method, more so than like character act, like whatever. Like I love just seeing people move on screen. Like there's a, there's a, there's an almost musical theater beauty to that, that, yeah. uh, that really, that, that really gets at me. And so Michael Fassbender just being physical really works for me. Um, but I, I did like the narration for the most part. I just think him looking in the mirror being like, Hey, like, I just, I don't know. I just love that. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. But I will say, I thought it was odd. One of the things I found odd was that, um, pretty much most of where he's walking and talking to people, even when he, there's that bit, uh, in the middle of the movie where, um, he's taking, I forget the actress's name, but he, he's, basically holding her hostage. Like, I was like, is there no one watching him? Like, even when he's walking after the, the first hit, like he's walking around this airport, it's a, it's a, it's Paris, it's a big airport. And like, there's barely any people around him. I, I found a lot of the settings to be weirdly non-populated for, for it to take oh. place in such big cities. Um, so I thought that was a little convenient. And I just think where the movie goes in the third act, I found to be a little bit, uh, just kind of like a want, want, like not super <laughs> underwhelming, but yeah, it was like that's it, really. So I don't. So maybe if the movie, and I've I've been reading some talks about Fincher should do a sequel or a series of killer movies and stuff like that. Like perhaps if it if it does get sequelized, I don't think Fincher is interested in that. I think he mm -hmm. he just wanted to make a pulpy thriller, which which I he's made yeah, pulpy there's... thrills before. So um, it with. But that's the thing. It's from the guy who wrote Seven, and I think Seven's a masterpiece, like many. So it's... right, I didn't know that. I didn't know that until I went into it that it was Andrew Kevin Walker who had wrote. I was like, oh, they're back together from Seven. Like that's exciting. Yeah. Like, I I don't. I knew so little about going to this movie. It was so funny. I was like, didn't know who wrote it. Uh, I don't think I ever saw a trailer. Maybe like I saw maybe some clips. Um, it was funny because we joke about Netflix never promoting anything, but I did see a commercial for this movie during like Sunday Night Football, and I was like, oh my god, Netflix must actually like care about the david fincher movie <laughs> like um but i it was it was fun to go into it like not knowing anything i didn't really have any expectations i was just like i'm gonna watch a new david fincher movie that's like in my house mm -hmm. like that's what's gonna happen um and that probably it's brilliantly me edited it's so well shot it's brilliant it's edited. really yeah it's really well shot it's really i mean it's it's you know he's a great director it's like i <laughs> even people don't know oh, yeah. drive with all his stuff i feel like technically He's a very good director. So um, I, the first 20 minutes, we we're just like watching Michael Fassbender kind of like work in like, I think with narrations, like I love that kind of stuff when you're just watching like somebody who's like methodically going through their job and they're setting it up and especially like a hitman scenario, like in a movie. Um, that's kind of my thing. And then like, there's a really good fight scene. Uh, I thought like a really brutal fight scene. It's amazing. Um, since I can't really call it an action movie because there's not like, I, maybe like a I don't know what you call it, like an action thriller like but it's not a whole ton of action there's like the setup to a hit there's the fight I don't know like it's just you know but it's I found it very interesting I was never bored that it moved really well like mm -hmm. and Fincher's done this before he's made like pulpy kind of like just B movie I, like I think people call this like a paperback 
thriller, like an airplane thriller or something. Like, yeah. Like this mm-hmm. and Panic Room. People forget about Panic Room is just like, what's the point of Panic Room? It's just like a fun thriller. Um, the, the game. game. The game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Gone Girl has a little more going on beneath the surface with like male female dynamics and things like that. But but it's still it's based on like a popular book that was kind of like an airport. No, you know, yeah. like a, so he's done this before. Um, I, you know, and we I always talk about like I miss those guys, like that journeyman directors who did a bunch of movies that didn't really have like a point besides to like entertain you and be like programmers. And I think Killer has like a little more in its mind. Like you could read into stuff about like gig economy, <laughs> like like he's just kind <laughs> of like an Uber driver for Hitman, or you know, it's like he's there's, there's mention of like Uber and Airbnb, and like I thought that was like seemed pretty intentional about like people using services like come on, you know, like, I don't know, just there was stuff I could read into that kind of, you could just take it as like a fun hitman movie. It's like, well, it's, I, mean, I don't fun is the right word, but it's like, it's it has a consumerist, it has a consumerist like satire going on as well. And I think, I think that's where I, I do side more with you as far as like, uh, liking the narration. Cause like there's that funny, like, I mean, Fincher's always going to have something like, that's like, Oh, here's Starbucks. Here's Amazon. It, it was about time for him to attack Amazon in some way. Um, <laughs> so I thought, I thought I, I was like, okay, that's fun. He's getting his package from here. So I, I like the satire of it. Um, and, and I even told, uh, both people that I spoke with this weekend, I was like, I think after the hype dies down, cause I did see a lot of trailers for it, um, both online and then also, um, when I went to go see Colors of the Flower Moon, uh, Scorsese's latest, um, uh, I saw a trailer for that. And that's when I realized, oh, snap, like Andrew Kevin Walker screenplay. Because they they set that in bold in the trailer. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, snap. You yeah. know, and I because again, I, I love love seven. So um, but yeah, I think with tempered expectations, I think I'll probably like the movie more. Um, but yeah, I, I, I did enjoy the film. I don't, I did see some negative reviews on uh, more negative reviews uh, on a uh, letterbox where, where they all kind of said, Oh, it's David Fincher just made his own John wick and it's inferior. And, and like, it's a, it's slow. It's boring. It's like, no, <laughs> it should not be compared to John wick. Like at all, <laughs> like people people see one hitman movie and they're like, oh John Wick, and it's like, okay, dude, like there's <laughs> there's more John, yeah. there's more. I'm so glad hitman I didn't go movies. in expecting a John Wick movie. Like that was not my expectation. Oh no, so, no, um, and and I like that. I respect him for making like a classic, like almost uh, point blank style thriller. Like I, yeah. I I miss those kinds of things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, there's a really good scene near the end with Tilda Swinton. Who just comes in for like yeah. one scene and kills it? Like so, there's I mean, to, and the like Netflix. I've been very hard on them. We most most of us have, um, and occasionally they pump out quality. They give a filmmaker a bunch of money, and you know you're like you get a movie that's like just a good time. So because I don't think like I think we're gonna look for more deeper meaning in the killer. And I'm like, he just made an entertaining hitman movie. You don't have to like read into. If you don't want to, you know, it's like they don't, right. he's not trying to like the world on fire. I don't think of this movie, but. Um, because I, I don't know about you, I did not like Mank. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, this is this is a big improvement for Mank. Because I, I was yeah. actually, um, I saw, because I, I was so looking forward to that. Because uh, I love old Hollywood, as you know. Uh, so, um, I, I watched that opening, opening, like not opening night, but because it was in my house. But <laughs> <laughs> it was opening night. You opened curtains in front of your TV, and got yeah, I'm up. just like in my robe, like <laughs> sitting down, just uh, treating, like treating my, uh, treating my abode like a cage or, or like, a, doing like a kingdom. To really make movies feel special, I gotta open like a curtain and just be like, ah, showtime. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> 
And I remember just being so, no, you're good, man. I just remember being so like, yeah, I was underwhelmed. I was confused because it like kept going through, it kept rushing through parts of the history. And it was, it's one of the rare times I I have, I wasn't sold on Oldman performance, which is saying a lot. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird, weird misfire, but yeah, the killer is definitely thankful. Netflix was like, Hey, let's give you money to make a thriller. Cause that's definitely where Fincher, I think shines, shines best. Yeah, I hope it gets a physical release of some port at, at some point. Like, uh, maybe I don't find, I don't know if Criterion's the place, but I think most Netflix things by like known directors go to Criterion. But I mean, something because I was thinking like I'd like to watch this like when I don't have Netflix, you know? It's like, um, <laughs> right, right. So, um, but yeah, it's good. I'm glad we both enjoyed it. Um, okay, I'll talk about that. Led me right into my stuff. Uh, so, um, I watched a movie. By Ernest Dickerson called Surviving the Game with Ice with Ice T. Have you seen Surviving the Game? I've heard of it and I've wanted to see it for years. It's it's really good. It's a fun action movie. Uh it's it it didn't have a Blu-ray for a very long time. It literally just got a Blu-ray, I think, from Shout Factory. And it was one of those great things where I'd pre-ordered it so long ago that when it showed up from Amazon, I was like, open the package up. I was like, what's this? I was like, what, what a treat. I was like, um, I hadn't checked. I'd forgot it was coming out in like November. I was like, oh my God. And um, the one that's collector movies. life, right? Like where you order so much, so many movies and then I order so many literally, because I've, I've done that before. Like I'll get a notification on my phone. It's like, oh, go to your locker to unlock this. And I'm like, well, yeah, what did I order? Then you open it up. It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> fun to just forget what you order. Then it's like a real surprise to yourself. You're like, oh, thanks past me for pre-ordering this. <laughs> like, um, I want to see it forever. And I heard it was available in like bad quality, like a bad quality DVD. I think it was out of print and like it was on some streaming, but I feel like it just, I'd heard it like didn't look good. And then I saw the Blu-rays coming out. And I was like, well, I might as well wait for the Blu-ray. Um, and it's a fun movie. It's like an, a riff on most dangerous game. Like it's not kind of like the world on fire. It's not, it's like the killer. It's like, it's just a really entertaining action thriller. Um, Ice-T being Ice-T. Like, I mean, Ice-T is, I feel like I, I was, I love Ice-T, but I feel like Ice-T is just always Ice-T. <laughs> like, and that's okay. <laughs> and that's okay because like, that's what I want. You know, it's like, um, and he's. I kind of wish he would have made more movies if I'm being honest. Cause I think he's such a, a solid presence because i mean obviously the other comparison is ice cube and i i think ice cube's an amazing presence on film and i don't know i i, I like ice t i like watching him like on screen so, yeah. there's so many rappers that are just naturally good like on screen like they don't even do anything hardly you know it's just dmx it's, oh my god yeah dmx <laughs> yeah. Like so good. uh even like it's funny like not all the time but something snoop dog i think of snoop dog in like training day is he in the wheelchair in training day like yeah, he is. Like, yeah, there's just uh, there's more. I mean, it just seems like so many rappers like just I, I feel like because the, they probably come up with no air of like pretense to anything <laughs> like and they, they know most of them are not trained actors. They're just like, going to move? OK, and then they just come in with this natural like thing. And Ice-T, I just feel like, yeah, he has a great presence. I know he's been on SVU for like what 20 years <laughs> or something, but yeah. like he's great in New Jack City. I mean, he's really great in New York City, New York City. So it's like poor i mean ice t's good in this but he's like outshined by the supporting cast because like he's the guy they're hunting in this movie like he's a homeless guy that they trick into be hunted it's the most dangerous game thing so it's like a bunch of guys who go out they take they tell him he's gonna like help them with their hunt like you know for some animal and then he's like okay and they because he needs money and 
they lure him in and then like you know they wake him up and they're just like we're hunting you go go out there and go <laughs> and it's like uh wow. and it's the guys are rucker Hauer, charles s dutton john c mcginley f murray abraham and gary Busey. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's my never... brain just broke. Like, morning cast. And Gary Busey, no surprise to anyone, steals the show. Gary Busey has a monologue <laughs> that I don't. It's like two or three minutes long, maybe a little longer. About he's telling Ice T the night before they go on the hunt when they think they're still friends, they're having dinner, and Gary Busey tells this monologue. I think that's like an unbroken cut. He tells the story about when he was a kid and his dad got him a dog, and him and the dog hunting, and then what his dad made like happened with the dog it's this very like dark <laughs> but gary busey's telling this and i'm like there's no way that anyone wrote this. gary busey's just telling the story no one wrote this story. <laughs> this is a gary busey original I could, like you're watching him tell it you're like this is just gary busey right and then like two days later on twitter someone talked about uh surviving the game and ice t retweeted the thing and said like uh yeah gary busey no one wrote that <laughs> Gary Busey whipped that up and Ernest Dickerson just shot it in like I think one take and it's worth seeing the movie for this Gary Busey monologue it's so good um <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> it's a very entertaining little movie like um uh, I had a great time with it um I probably won't like the world on fire but I mean with that cast it's fun and uh i'm definitely gonna watch this like okay. soon this, this, sound, this sounds like like my kind of like uh like kind of like no not call it junky disparagingly but it sounds like that kind of oh like, i know okay, no laid, that's what i yeah, yeah yeah laid back like saturday afternoon kind of matinee kind of thing like that's, that's what, a good I love that kind way of to thing. describe it yeah like i just i love like a solid 90 minute uh 90s action movie with a good cast and that's exactly what surviving the game is it's like and it's like <laughs> I mean, junkies probably the wrong word, but I mean, I know what you're saying. Like, it's just easier to digest. It goes down easy. A Saturday matinee, yes. like, it's just yeah. like, okay, whoo, I don't gotta, you know, <laughs> think much about this. <laughs> um, but it's very entertaining. It was great. Um, what else? Uh, watched a Martin Scorsese movie I had not seen. I wanted to watch some more Scorsese movies. There's still quite a few I haven't seen because I haven't seen a lot of the uh, early stuff. Like mm -hmm. Alice doesn't live here anymore and Boxcar Bertha. I feel like I'm forgetting another one, but and then a couple random and I feel bad because all the ones like that are like outside of the Scorsese, what people think of as his wheelhouse, like Kundun and Silence and Age of Innocence. Like so all the ones that oh yeah, know, I feel like people think are like outside the box for him. And I feel bad I haven't seen more of those. But one that is outside the box I hadn't seen was Hugo, which is like his one and only kids movie i guess like um and i love i was like oh this is so martin scorsese because it's like all about film preservation <laughs> and i was like who what child is this for oh i will i loved it by the way i thought it was a fantastic That's awesome. movie but it's all yeah. about like preserving these like silent films and i was like oh my god this is like porn to martin scorsese isn't it like the like just the idea of like preserving these silent films and i was like did this play to any child in 2011 <laughs> Like, again, I'm just saying all these. It sounds I, I loved it, but I just I laugh at the idea of that, like that this was like this kid's movie. And it's all about like old film and preserving film, but it's really well made. Like, I mean, what am I mm -hmm. saying? Of course, it's of course really well made, but like it seems like it's like <laughs> extra playful for him. Like maybe because it is a kid's movie. Like um, the opening, I think, is like this big sequence where you saw like mostly in a train station, and the camera like flies around like different parts of the train station you know and it's like it's it's kind of 
I think people would call it showy. I, I don't like that word. I feel like it sounds like it's just impressive is what it is. It's just right. Like, right. And he's using like more CGI than I've ever seen him use. But I think he's using it like in the right times and like um, not completely overdoing it. Like, I think there's one part where they like crash a train out of like the train station. I think it's like a model. It's definitely not CGI. I don't think if it's, it looks amazing. Like, so I was, he's still using like old movie tricks and all this stuff. And like, I, I didn't even, did you, have you seen Hugo? I just started talking. I didn't even ask you. <laughs> <laughs> you were just like, Preston, have you seen, I loved it. So here, you, you know, yeah, yeah, Sorry. No, yeah, yeah. I, no, <laughs> no, I love your, uh, <laughs> I love your enthusiasm because I, I love Hugo as well. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Hugo fan. Actually. Um, I saw it when it came out in 2011. Um, and, um, um, because I, and when I saw that it was announced, cause by this point it was high school for me. I was, um, kind of like, I think that's the point where I was like declaring myself as a, as a lover of cinema, like beyond just watching movies on TNT and TBS. But I was like, I I'm a cinephile. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and so Hugo comes out at that time in my life from this guy whose movies, I, every movie I had seen from him, I was like, I love, I love this, uh, this Martin Scorsese gentleman. And I think, I think the material is perfect for him because it's, he's a, even though he's adapting a children's book, which, it does seem, and it is out of out of the norm for for him. Um, he, it, it's a movie about loving films and about film preservation and the history, but from a child, literal children's pers perspective. Right. Um, and there's a big like almost Jean Pierre Genet influence going on through like Sasha Baron Cohen's character and the way the movie. There's this very light, uh, this very light. Uh, how can I put this without? Because I don't want to accuse Scorsese of being an appropriator. I don't think that's the case with this. But but there's an almost a French way of like glossing over um, menace and stuff or the darkness in in film history. And I and I but I but he does it so delicately. It's it's been I'll be honest with you, Matt. It's been quite a few years since I've oh, seen yeah. Hugo, so I can't necessarily speak to to it in detail like I would some of Scorsese's other films. But um, no, I, 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 I loved it. Like, I remember when it came out, I watched it like maybe like three or four times. Like, I, I think it's great. It's yeah, I was really pretty like blown away by it. I was like, this is really great. <laughs> like, um, I figured it would be, but I didn't know how much I'm like, oh, it's a kid's movie. I don't know. But like, I, and I mean, this it's, it keeps like it's negative, but I don't feel like it's a kid's movie. It's like, I mean, it could play right. to kids, but it definitely, I don't know. It's interesting. I just wonder if he like read that Hugo, the book. It's based on a book, right? So it's like, I wonder if he like. Yeah. The, the I think it's called The Adventures of Hugo Cabaret. And oh, so okay. it was a pretty popular children's book um, in my circle. So when I, again, like oh. that was a, and I read the book uh, shortly before seeing the movie. Like it was one of those things. Like back when I feel like I hadn't, this, this is going to make me sound like, an, like I'm kind of goofy, but like when I had more time to read back then, like that, that's when I read the book. So um, yeah. And, and I think that's why there's so much CGI is because he's, he's taking the, cause it's a, it's a picture book as well. So he's taking the images and wanting to capture that almost in a, in a graphic novel adaptation kind of way, which is very interesting <laughs> considering yeah. Scorsese's uh, leanings on film today. So yeah, I'll just put it like that. Yeah, yeah, it's very bright, very colorful. It's got a light touch to it. It moves really well. It's like super. It feels very. Play, it just feels very playful, and it's like he's having fun. Like he's just doing all these tricks. I feel like he's using like old Hollywood tricks and things, and like with the CGI. So it's all all the stuff. Um, but I was thinking because like in the movie, I think it takes a while to bring up that it's kind of about like saving 
films that were destroyed or finding films. So I just wonder if he was like reading a book and he got to that part and he like, threw in the air. He's like, I gotta make this a movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> preservation. And like, uh, like, God bless him for it. I just think it's like, he just like, ah, like, cause it, it takes like, a, I didn't think, I didn't even, I knew it was about that, but I kind of forgot because it takes a while to get there. Cause all the stuff about like him, Hugo and his dad were making this like robot, uh, boy in uh, the automaton and it's like his dad it's all so it's all this other stuff and then it's like oh by the way like uh gotta save these movies too if we can <laughs> find them so um but yeah it's like I, by I, the uh, way i'm gonna let you finish but george Melius is over here basically yeah. that's what <laughs> yeah i was just happy to see like some studio gave him like a shit ton of money to make this movie because like it was kind of a risky play i'm sure like to for the budget i think it was like 150 million dollars or something and yeah you know which back like, oh. then was was yeah like pretty hefty for a live a live action family movie uh, right as well and, and i feel like that's something i feel like that's something we don't get a lot nowadays is one like filmmakers besides wes anderson doing like family type of movies and then um uh, or excuse me like like auteur filmmakers doing family movies and then um yeah also just like live action family movies that aren't Disney remakes or remake of something. <laughs> yeah, that's yes, something I yeah. kind of miss is, yeah. is that kind of originality. So yeah. This did feel like a, almost a bygone era. Like when it's like, you know, an original, I mean, that's based on something, but not like your typical IP for a kid's movie. And it had a lot of big budget behind it. And it definitely, one of those kids movies, that's not at all like talking down to its audience. I know some kid movies just, you know, I think they think, oh, we're for kids. We can be like stupid and make fart jokes and, you know, all kinds of stuff <laughs> like um, but it's yeah, it's just it's really great. Um, so I'm glad I finally watched it. Um, I think I have everything else. I mean, there's I mean, I haven't been on for a while, so I could talk about a ton of things I watched, but I won't do that. So I feel like I used to segue <laughs> about a Scorsese movie to talk about another Scorsese movie. Um it's a movie not for children uh, after hours. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're, you know, you could handle it. But, uh, but it's, um, kids now would be like, why doesn't he use a cell phone? It's like, uh, <laughs> um, but yes, after hours, um, a movie that I would just really quick. I had watched for the first time only like three or four years ago. Actually, Letterboxd told me I think it was 2018. So like five years ago, which. Doesn't seem like five years ago, but but uh, it's like kind of hard to see. It's kind of a hard movie to see, and I heard good things about it, probably from the Pure Cinema podcast. I feel like they had talked it up a lot and finally got to see it and liked it and then waited forever for it to get a criterion. Because I think during like the pandemic, the heat of the pandemic in 2020, I remember somebody leaking like after I was going to get a criterion. I was like, oh, thank God. And then it just came out this year. <laughs> So it was like, yeah. I was like, are we getting that criterion? I thought it was like a fake thing or it was canceled. Um, finally came out. I rewatched it right when that 4K came out and was like, oh, I love this more than I remembered. Like, um, and it jumped way up in my Scorsese rankings. And I was like, this is so good. Um, so I was so excited to talk about it and then to watch it for this. But um, that's my very brief. I only see it three times. It's my very brief history with After Hours. But I'm curious about like your history with this movie. <laughs> Sure, definitely. Um, <clears throat> yeah, like, uh, um, like I kind of like I professed earlier. Like, uh, Scorsese is someone who, um, I mean, if you're a film fan, like you, you know Scorsese. Like you've seen, you you've seen some of his movies, but at this point, and by some, I don't mean a handful, because I feel like anytime his movies come out, it's always an event. And um, it, it's interesting because, like, up until just a few years ago. 
um, when I really started exploring like, okay, like the, the, the bringing out the deads and like the, the um, uh, more of like more of those B sides that you're referring to, like, like for you, it was Hugo for me, it was like, you know, stuff like stuff like that. Um, it was only the big ones that I had saw, like the Goodfellas and taxi drivers, raging bulls departed stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I, and those are movies uh, in some way I kind of know by maybe I can't quote all of them, but if you were to put them on TV, I could be like, Oh, this scene, this scene, that scene. He's <laughs> just one of those, he just has a chokehold on me. And so um, uh, I was, I was very, for a while I've been very interested to see this one. And uh, part of the reason why, and I feel like I was, I was avoiding this one for a long time um, up until about 2020 or 2019, partially because like, Oh man, I don't want to be negative on your podcast, Matt, but <laughs> the whole 80s comedies are not always like my thing. I feel like um, that was something that like, like I love like screwball comedies. I love a lot of like uh, modern stuff and nineties comedies is the nineties mid budget comedies is a secret uh, soft spot of mine. But um, there, there were a lot that I saw in high school that like uh, um, <laughs> that people would you know pass along to me, and I'd be like, I don't know, man. I <laughs> it just it's uh, Caddyshack. No. I don't know, man. Not 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 my thing. I hate to, I hate to throw. I hate to. I'm sorry. That not Listen, not I'll not jump for me. in there with you and take the bullets. Never like there's a lot of '80s comedies that don't work for me that are like the beloved. Caddyshack's a good example. I like Caddyshack just fine. I've only seen it like two times. Um, mm -hmm. There is still funny stuff. I even think of like the Bill Murray stuff. I think is funny. Um, oh yeah, but like that. Oh my god, my poor girlfriend. We try to put on Porky's because she's like, oh, I remember watching Porky's as a kid and it was funny. And then she put on and like within two minutes, somebody's like throwing out like a racial slur. And I'm like, oh, and she's like, and she turns and goes, oh my god, I'm so sorry. I didn't remember this. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, and like, I know it's a different time. And even that movie is an 80s movie is about the 50s, I believe, or the six. Like, it's about, yeah. but it's still like, there's a lot of stuff in 80s comedies that, um, we're gonna sound, we're gonna, like, we're gonna sound like we're like, oh, we're too soft for 80 comedies. But like, I just think the style of comedy that was, and there's, I mean, there's a bunch I like too. So I should, this is a weird blanket statement. Sure. But there, some of the big ones, like Porky's and Caddyshack, and I'm trying to think of, uh, there's a couple other ones that are like, that are kind of beloved. I've never been that into like, mm -hmm. so I, you know, I, you know, I kind of know what you're saying. They're, they're kind of hit or miss. And there's some stuff that like clearly does not age. well. Like, yeah. You know. Like, and, and that's the thing, like as a teenager, it would be like, Oh man. Like, cause I think that was, since I am kind of like a, a millennial, I hate to have that kind of woke attitude about that stuff, but <laughs> you know, like again, 80s comedy, I, I love comedy. I like comedy, but A's comedy not always my thing. So it took me a long time to get to the King of Comedy and After Hours. And I saw King of Comedy in college with a with a buddy of mine, and, and we both really really loved it. And I've seen King of Comedy a couple times since, and it's it's I, I think it's a fantastic movie. I think it's aged really really well. Um, and, but it took me a while to get to After Hours, partially because I didn't really recognize the lead guy. There were a bunch of people from films that. Until seeing the movie, I didn't realize they, they were in a bunch of movies that I loved, um, especially from this era of filmmaking. But um, this is one of those things, like, literally, after this movie was done, it was, like, instant first love. Like, it was one of those where I was like, I need to have this in my collection. And, man, the disappointment when I went on Amazon or called up video stores or whatever I was doing at the time. And 
the After Hours Blu-ray did not exist. Uh, I don't even think the DVD <laughs> was in print like that either, so I couldn't yeah, get it. The DVD was in print. It had no Blu-ray. It was yeah kind of like, for a Scorsese movie, weirdly hard to see for get your hands on. Yeah. And I think I can't um, I can't prove this because like um, I was actually watching a few Criterion special features before we jumped on this on this recording, but um, I have heard from some some sources in the in in years prior that he, he Scorsese kind of I can't imagine him doing this for real, but I've heard that like this movie was kind of treated as like the 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 black sheep of Scorsese movies. And I think there's some legitimate reasons for that and, and maybe some not. Obviously, I'm of the opinion that it's top tier Scorsese. Like, I think out of all his B-sides, this is definitely one of my favorites. This is just one of my favorites from him, period. And uh, um, and I've seen it twice now. Like, I bought the Criterion that month that came out during that sale. Um, oh, yeah, that was not, July. Yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah, yeah just, just back in July. And um, I watched it a third time for the show. And, man... Um, Call me crazy, Matt, but I think this might be my favorite '80s Scorsese movie. I think I think I'm gonna stick to that. Wow, I mean that's it's some tough competition. King of Comedy, Raging yeah. Bull. Yeah, uh, I've not seen Last Temptation of Christ actually, or Color of Money. So it's two oh, more wow. I haven't seen. Um, well, You're you know, in for a treat. Color, Color of Money. The problem with that one is I feel like I have to watch The Hustler first. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe I don't, but I in my brain I'm like, oh, I gotta watch the. The first one before I watch the sequel and last station to Christ is like, well, I'm not religious and I have no, <laughs> like, <laughs> I kind of know the story of Jesus, right? Like, you know, not much more is there to learn. Um, it's like, <laughs> um, I it's that's good. fair. That's fair. Um, no, I, I, I will, I will admit, I, I adore Last Temptation of Christ. Um, but, um, <laughs> I, I, th- I think the beauty of it actually, um, I think the, I think one one of the beautiful things about it is that it actually opens up with um, uh, text at the beginning that says this is this is not it says something along the lines of this is loosely based on the myth of Jesus. So what you're following that caused a big controversy when that movie first came oh, out. Oh yeah, there was a lot of lot of controversy that came out. Like I again was I was a baby, so I was hearing about it later. <laughs> like people protesting. Um, you know, outside, like anything with Jesus for a long time, you couldn't like <laughs> even uh, something as silly as a like, Kevin Smith's dogma was getting like protests, you know, from. Yeah. Like you just couldn't touch that subject for a long time without like groups protesting. So, um, yeah, I don't I, you know, I need to see that one, too, but I have not seen it. But I, it, it's funny you say this. Your favorite was 80s movies. I I may go king of comedy. Like King like, Comedy is really great. King Comedy like is great. Neither of us picked Raging Bull. People, if they weren't mad at the <laughs> the woke, now it's the real woke podcast. It's <laughs> like, and Raging Bull's great, but I think the problem with Raging Bull is like it's so unlikable. Like his character is so unlikable that it's not like a one I want to pop on, and you know, from time to time, like, like oh yeah. Uh, but it's such I've a seen... good well-made movie. But yeah, it's <laughs> oh yeah, I I love Raging Bull. Like I I. I maybe I fall into the pretentious like uh, film bro category that like really does enjoy a well-made biopic. And, and I think raging bull is one of the, one of the greats, like one of the greats of all time. I, I love the energy again, going back to my love of physical performances. I love the energy that De Niro brings to it. I love how it takes a true story of someone who's so terrible and, and turns into this psychological quandary. Um, and, I, and I've actually seen the movie, um, 
a good amount of times. Like, uh, like it's it's probably one of my more rewatched Scorsese movies. I'm not sure what that says about me as a person, but you know, uh, <laughs> but I I love Raging Bull, and like I I do. Um, weirdly enough, I I do, and maybe it's the subject matter of King of Comedy that like puts it a little bit below Raging Bull for me because I love like a good. I love interesting takes on sports movies in general. Like I love Moneyball and stuff like that. Um, but I think uh, the thing about After Hours though is that it takes the comedy of Raging Bull that, oh, excuse me, not Raging Bull. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> that laugh riot, Raging Bull. <laughs> oh man, just when he uh, threw a pie at, yeah, no, it was great. No. <laughs> oh, no. But I love that After Hours builds because it was just two years after the king of comedy i love how it builds off of that and but you get the surrealist elements of a raging bull and a taxi driver in this screwy type of comedy that's not a full-on screwball comedy but it's also not a laugh out loud riot yes, um yeah. but it incorporates <laughs> elements too of like scorsese's loves of film noir at points i would argue that there's a lot of noirish kind of lighting that happens or cinematography in general and then also i would even say there's a little bit of horror in there as well which i find super fascinating i just i've just never seen again i've seen this three times now and i just i came away from yesterday's viewing being like i've never seen a comedy that's made like this that feels like this where i'm both nervous and on the edge of my seat in a tense sort of way and even though i like the the griffin dunn character i think he gives an amazing performance um i, I like the performance a lot in the movie it is i would i would almost say it's kind of like a lamada thing for me where i still feel a detachment from him partially because everything that happens to him in the movie he kind of it's because he makes the wrong choice which i think is fucking hilarious <laughs> this is so funny you say this because i watched on the blu-ray or 4k either one there's a conversation with martin scorsese and um fran Leibowitz. Leibowitz, yeah and I believe that the, it's funny because Scorsese has like the opposite view of what you just said, where he thinks that he just happens to like be in falls into the situations. And, like it's not necessarily his fault. Like I thought it's his fault, but like it's like he's never he, he should not be in he should not be in this place. Basically, he should not ever be where he is in the movie. <laughs> like he shouldn't be there. Is um, and it's funny because he's like they mentioned he's trying to always like be polite kind of when like um, the stuff's going on around him. <laughs> like he's trying to keep an air of politeness. Like I love when John Hurd is like losing his shit on the cash register and Griffin Dunn's like at the bar, like, you know, it's okay. <laughs> kind of like, like he's still trying to tell he's frustrated, but he's still like, don't, don't worry. Like, um, but I, I thought it was funny when they said that because I thought, yeah, some of the things are definitely Griffin Dunn's, I thought, his fault, especially the stuff involving Rosanna Arquette. You know, yeah. that's like his doing kind of <laughs> like that's that's why this is a weird comedy, because it involves like this dark subject matter, like her overdosing, you know, or like, and stuff like that. Um, spoilers for After Hours. But yes, yeah, like so there's it's it, it's a comedy because I definitely find things I laugh at, but it's. It's definitely not. We're talking about like other '80s comedies, like King of Comedy and After Hours. Not like at all typical comedy. Not typical comedies. Not typical '80s comedies. I would say like they're not um, laid back. Like they're very thoughtful. They're very like a, like a tension. It's almost like they yeah. <laughs> like they both have like nervous the, laughter almost. Yeah, 
<laughs> yes, the the anxiety and uncomfortableness of like an uncut gems, like you know, <laughs> like I think I think I did read the Safties were influenced by one or both of these movies for uncut gems. Like, um, I can totally see that. I, I see definitely. That I can definitely see after hours for sure. Right. Yeah, definitely. There's just like and... this nervous anxiety, like pulsing through after hours, like <laughs> that. That even though it's funny, I, I think Morris Scorsese put it perfectly. He had this great quote about after hours, about how he sees after hours. And I wrote it down. Like I didn't take many notes, but I had to write this down. He said, "This whole movie is that moment when you walk into a room and people are talking about you, and then they suddenly stop. It's that awkward feeling, <laughs> like which." nails it so well where it's like oh now there's this weird tension in the room like it's like you know they were talking about you because they stopped as soon as you walked in which means they were talking to you. so it's like everybody's just griffin dunn is like getting more and more frustrated as things go on people like won't really deal with him i feel like or they're just they're just like agitating him you know like everybody he meets it seems like they're just like it's like the movie's almost like push shoving you it's like it's like pushing <laughs> Like, to, to you want to get agitated, you know? <laughs> well, it's interesting because um, every character he meets, it, it's not that he treats them. It's interesting because it's not that he treats them as like bad people or, or whatever, but what they're doing from his vantage point is very strange. Right. Like the fact that he, <laughs> the fact that he, like, just from the from the jump, uh, when he meets Roseanne Arquette, like, and he's reading uh, Henry Miller, I believe. And, um, she basically is like, hey, in order to get to my apartment, make sure you call my roommate and tell her that you want a, <laughs> um, what do you call it? A uh, a plaster of Paris paper bagel. Paperweight. Yeah, pa <laughs> paper, paperweight, cream, cream cheese and bagel uh, kind of thing. And he's just like, okay, I'll do it. Cause I, you know, like it's the typical, uh, it actually does kind of start like a, what you would think of as like a Porky's where it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to go see Slade. That's a lot of, and it is a lot of 80s comedy. It literally. <laughs> and it subverts it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it, it subverts it by having Linda Fiorentino, very, very young Linda. I think uh, in early in her career, uh, Linda For, uh, Fiorentino. Yeah. Um, as, as her sculptor roommate, who's sculpting these like very, very weird, but also very impressive uh, paper mache sculptures. And mm -hmm. Um, she has music going that's very like art scene classy, which I think one of the, the things about this movie thematically is that there's this clash between Griffin Dunn's yuppie, yuppiness-ness mm -hmm. with like almost the, the strange but also kind of elitist in its own way attitudes that you find in Soho Manhattan. Um, it, it's very interesting how the movie, I think, juggles with that. And uh, um, and he he's basically trying to like buy time as obviously Rosanna Arquette's coming, but basically she's enticing him to give her a massage. And obviously because it's Linda Florentino in the eighties. You're like, okay, like there's a weird, at least to me, a weird sexual <laughs> tension there. Linda Florentino then, always has a weird sexual tension around her. <laughs> like anything, <laughs> the sexual energy. It's one of those people we talked about. I feel like, more about guys like Michael Douglas. It seems like he's always trying to have sex with somebody. Linda Florentino always has this like sexual energy, like even in something like Men in Black, where it's like, <laughs> it's like, why is this energy? Like, this is weird, but like, all right, you frighten me, but I'm also attracted to you. <laughs> like... Which I rewatched actually. Um, and I, I, I don't know why I didn't plan, like, I swear I didn't plan this. I promise, Matt, because I knew I would be watching After Hours. And I was like, you know, I haven't watched Men in Black in a long time. And let me, let me pop that in. And so, uh, uh, cause it, it's on Hulu, I think, but right oh, now, man. but, 
Um, uh, so I'm watching it and like she's on screen and then there's like this explosive scene where Will Smith does his yelling thing as Will Smith does. And uh, <laughs> he, he tells Linda Florentino, he's like, well, like you acted like you were like coming on to me. Like, how did I know that you had like an alien behind you or whatever? And, and, and I, <laughs> I just thought that that was so relatable because it's kind of like what you said, like she has a very femme fatale aura around her. And uh, it, it's, I'm curious, I'm curious what you think, because um, I posed this question on Twitter. I was like, hey, what happened to her? Like after the 80s and the 90s, because she had that whole run uh, from from pretty much from the 80s to like doing like Last Seduction. And I think Jade was after that. Um, and then Men in Black and Dogma, mm -hmm. where it just seemed like she she would be like she was bound to be a bigger and bigger. I mean, because Men in Black was a huge hit. Right. Uh, and yeah. so I'm curious what like um, and I, I, I did some reading afterwards uh, where um, I don't want to someone who is more knowledgeable about gossip and stuff like that or tabloid <laughs> uh -huh. journalism can probably fill in the gaps on that. But uh, I did read something about that. So I think she might be outlawed in Hollywood due, due to some relationships she cultivated after her 90s heyday. But yeah, I, I think it's sad because uh, she is just so talented. I think just such a great command of voice and presence. Uh, uh, obviously very beautiful. Um, and yeah, I just, I miss seeing her and stuff. I think she's just awesome. Yeah. I didn't know if it was a combo of she chose to quit acting mixed with, I had heard she was difficult to work with. Like, mm -hmm. and I think that came across a lot for dogma. Funny. I bring that up again. <laughs> like, uh, mm -hmm. uh, where I know her and Karen Smith did not get along. I don't think she got, I feel like the story was she wouldn't talk to like anybody, but they, I don't think they were even talking on the set. Like, and she's the star of the movie technically. So it's like, um, I feel like she was forced to like I think he wanted like Janine Garofalo and then the studio was like put Linda for Linda Forentino in there which is a weird choice for like a comedy like that like, a broad comedy like a Kevin Smith movie yeah <laughs> it's like I, I, I was wondering that because I rewatched Dogma recently I hadn't seen it in a long time so I, I guess I've, I've had Linda that's part of why I've had her on the brain is, is yeah. I've been rewatching some of her stuff and um and I so one thing I will say about Dogma is that I find it very odd that like she's the main character but the entire movie is angels and demons basically talking at her like they're all religious <laughs> yeah. comedy diatribes essentially but like she doesn't really react and they keep telling her you're the one it's like the matrix except she doesn't do anything <laughs> cool but yeah that, that, <laughs> so I, yeah. now you said that that makes sense because i was like why would you get her in this movie and not have her be her like so right I, I it does feel like a lot of it yeah i mean that's one of the criticisms of that movie too i think is uh uh i, I think about it at this movie they were talking about dogma a long time ago and they were like kevin smith's not always great at like showing things he's a better writer than director i think even he would admit he's a better writer than director mm -hmm. so i think he can like write a bunch of this stuff but all in dogma you're just like telling somebody about it and i think she's like she's a real like audience surrogate in a movie where it's just like She's like, what's th what's this? What's that? Who's this? And then they just tell her stuff. And it's like, it's not super cinematic. Like they're saying like at a bar, it's like, tell me this, tell me that. So it's just a lot of like people talking to her and she's just like, okay. And yeah, it doesn't come <laughs> into it at all. I feel like, uh, which if you know the behind the scenes that uh, she does not seem into it. Um, and mm -hmm. sorry, I thought I closed the screen there for a second on Zoom. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, she doesn't seem super into it. And so I, I never knew really what happened, but I... Like, I thought it was a combo of, like, 
maybe people not wanting to hire her and then going, well, if they don't want to hire me, I'm just going to quit acting. But because um, I think she, well, she's just like, oh, two. And then there's a huge gap to 09. There's one random thing and there's nothing on her IMDb. So I don't know. I uh, She was a really unique presence in movies. I do miss seeing her, especially now I appreciate more like she's so good as like a femme fatale glass seduction in like oh, jade like that kind of, like wonderful um, wonderful like, movie. perfect like per, per, but like yes yeah, so i don't know I, I i don't know but yeah it's funny to see her in this so young i mean there's so many people that pop up in after hours like we like you've got you've got not one but both the parents from home alone before home alone <laughs> like got... yeah that's true yeah <laughs> um and uh will oh Patton bringing the will energy Patton, like, I, tonight. One, I think i missed <laughs> until until this time where i was like oh it's will Patton because he looks tip he looks i mean you could when you know it's him like oh it's will Patton, but like on a glance it's like that's not the will Patton i know of you know now but like um terry, terry Gar, one of my terry favorite is, roles from her god that it's so funny like like uh just the way like I, I think it's like something where you said earlier it's like these people are kind of like odd characters but they're even odder to him because he's just like trying to get home and they've all got like something they're doing that's like kind of fucking up his shit basically <laughs> like and like terry gar seems nice like she brings him in she's like i brought you to my apartment and uh you know out of the rain and then he's, he's just but she's kind of a weirdo and then my god Catherine o'hara when she oh man like, she might be my favorite uh, of like the the weird uh soho <laughs> guest like because her energy is like i want to rope this guy in immediately and then because that's actually the tensest i i I remember the first time I saw this movie, that was actually that uncut gems moment where like, finally, like, she's like, oh yeah, I'll drive you. And then um, finally they head out, she's getting into her truck. Then she stops and she looks at something. You don't know what it is yet. Then she looks at him and then you're kind of like, what's going on? And she starts like, kind of like speed running to her truck or whatever. And she's like, what? he's like, wait, 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 what am I doing? And, and, uh, <laughs> and um, I think it's, it's, it's the it's right after that when she speed when she speeds off where he basically shouts the sky like what oh, do you yeah. want from me I'm a word processor. <laughs> <laughs> like, what have I done to deserve this? I'm a word processor. Um, God, when she's fucking with him, when he's trying to like dial that phone number and she's just saying random numbers, I I felt oh, infuriated. <laughs> I felt like, that's one of those moments when like I'm watching a comedy, but it's like it picking at me. So like I if someone was doing it to me, I'd be like what is your problem <laughs> like oh, i would yeah. send me over the edge like um and it's like every from the first he goes the cab driver that he that's speeding and he's trying to be like slow down like that and then he loses his money like everybody he meets is just like unintended it's funny because mostly unintentionally is just completely ruining his plans i may laugh the hardest at when he goes to the subway and <laughs> it's like after midnight <laughs> so the subway guys like Price goes up to 150 after midnight. And he's like, I got 97 cents. And and he's like, I can't I, well, I can't let you go. It's 150. And he's like, Can you who's gonna know if you take this? And then the guy <laughs> and the guy says, you know, I might go to a party. I might get drunk and might tell somebody. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, you're you take the money at the subway and you think like it's like he's like a government agent, like he's gonna go and spill secrets at a party. Like what is it's like what does that mean? Like I didn't I just laugh so hard. It's so absurd. Like this guy takes his job so seriously, I guess, and he's like, I can't I tell somebody I did this at a party and I'm in trouble. Um it's also very it, New York though. Like it, this is a oh, very yeah, yeah well, because it, it's literally New York City and it the title's called after hours, but like 
if like because I've, I've spent nights in new york uh i visited some friends a couple a couple of uh couple of years ago and i remember thinking to myself i was like the longer this night goes on i was out that first night until like five in the morning which i never do i'm such a daytime person like i am not an owl i am i am secretly 80 years old but we were out in new york city and i was thinking to myself i was like i feel like griffin done in after hours because <laughs> people just get weirder each club each corner we go to that we're checking out and like we're going through these subways and you meet people like that in fact the I don't know why it's always the simple stuff in comedies that makes me laugh the hardest. But speaking of uh, belly laughs, I love the scene where Cheech Marin and his cohort they're they're uh, they're stealing they're stealing Griffin Dunn inside the inside the sculpture, uh -huh. and his his partner's like the art sure is ugly, man. Well, that's how much you know, man. You know, the uglier the art, the more it's worth. And I just like <laughs> died laughing because I'm like that is just. Whenever my my friends took me to go see New York art, I was like, "Are you sure that's art, or is that like a like a like a like a piece of shit or something?" Like, <laughs> I just like, <laughs> like wait, that's a just like this ground. matter in like a like a like a glass cage. Is like, are you sure that's art? But right, yeah, sure, whatever. Whatever you say, it could be art. Um, that yeah, that, <laughs> there's so many. It's definitely not like. You said earlier, I think it's not like a real uproarious laugh out loud comedy. It could be for some people. And there's stuff I did like laugh out loud, but it's not like it's more like I'm doing a lot of like chuckling because it's so like it's just so weird. These weird little moments. That's why I thought it might be harder to talk about because like comedies are to talk about. But this one, I mean, we've all Martin Scorsese and all this about, but it's like this is like full of like little moments that are kind of hard to um, maybe explain why you think they're so funny <laughs> like yeah um, there's so many, well like, it's a little, very yeah oh sorry sorry man. i would say just like <clears throat> little niche things that like i find so specifically funny like the thing with this you know like but it, so it's hard to like explain it to people sometimes but yeah sorry, what we're gonna say sorry <laughs> well it's very much a cult film and i think uh just from its from its release like i, I think that's why it's had that's contributed to why it's been seen as like the lost scorsese movie this and uh king of comedy for a very long time um and I think with this movie specifically, what really got me about this viewing, and I wrote it down, was I feel like the the cinematographer, um, I'm trying to find his name. Oh, Michael oh, Bauhaus. Michael Bauhaus, yeah. Yeah, who shot, you know, some of <clears throat> you know, some of the most rewatched movies ever, some of my favorite films ever, and and stuff like that. Goodfellas, of course, being um being the big one in uh or probably the biggest one. He's had a lot of big ones, and then uh, he shot Bram Stoker's Dracula, so like he he's kind of a <laughs> yeah. cinematography god. Uh, he's one of doing, the best. Helping, I mean, he really like he really. Yeah, is. <laughs> yeah. he he's he's amazing, and um, I think what he brings to the table just individually, alongside Thelma Shoemaker's um, editing, this is pretty early on in in her collabs with Scorsese because I yeah. she's she's scored excuse me uh, edited every movie of his since Raging Bull, so this is their third movie together, I think. Um, all the way up until Killers of the Flower Moon. So it's it's amazing that this collaboration's transversed uh, decades at this point. But I noticed even in Act One, where like Griffin Dunn gets into the car to go to to go see Rosanna Arquette potentially, and the way Bauhaus shoots 
the uh like the interiors of like griffin dunn just like being like oh snap like the car is like just <laughs> speeding out uh -huh. and the way Thelma shoemaker edits that sequence it's like straight out of like a silent movie or or, or, or something like that like a chaplain movie mm -hmm. like it's a it's a lot of like the music's just kind of like uh going in the background but like uh the way that griffin dunn is just throwing his body up against each wall it's it's again physical acting at its finest and then I also found it interesting visually among a sea of other just amazing, uh, uh, amazing kind of, uh, uh, how can I put this? Uh, amazing combos of that kind of thing. Um, when he's finding info about Roseanne Arquette, when he's finally in her apartment and he goes through the book, it's kind of fucked up that I'm laughing about this, but it's a dark <laughs> comedy, guys. But he, he's going through the book where he's finding like what the burn scars mean to her that she has, which is oh. really disturbing when you first see it. And then the way that uh, Thelma uh, edits those sequences together, like it's a horror movie and then he throws the book. He's like, ah, yeah. get that away. like, it's just, it's so amazing. <laughs> like I'm like, and, but it adds to the comedy. It, it's really unique. Yeah. There's these weird touches of like light, like a little bit of horror. And that's one of them I was thinking of like, I heard people say this, I guess depending on who you are, this could be kind of a horror movie. Like, this would be my nightmare to be stuck somewhere um, <laughs> and then, like, have no way to get home. I just would want to get home. And, like, it's funny because everyone I'm sure he's interacting with does not think they're acting crazy. But to us and him, for the most part, it's like, it's like, these people are all lunatics. Uh, it's like, you know, <laughs> they, it's like you're surrounded by crazy people and they're crazy. It, I, I love, the, I don't know what to even call it, but, like, the the trope or, like, where there's a main character who's like trying to keep it together and they get progressively and progressively more like, like they're losing everybody, everyone around them acts like, Oh, I'm it's normal. And they're like acting insane. Hot fuzz is my example with Simon Pegg trying to oh, keep yeah. it together and hot fuzz. And eventually he just like loses it because everyone in the town, the village is so weird. <laughs> and he's just like, and the scene where Griffin done, I guess they get finally like, really loses it when he's in that guy's apartment near the end. And he's just like telling him about his night. And he's just like, at it and um so i just griffin dunn is so good in this like i haven't seen griffin dunn in a lot of stuff like mm -hmm. it's this and like american werewolf in london and i'm trying to think of other things i've seen him in but like these are always the two things i think of i think but he's so good in this he's so good at playing like <laughs> it's like watching him progressively and slowly like lose his shit as the night goes on and like still trying to keep like keep it together and like it kind of like the whole politeness like uh um just uh there's so many little things he does. I know Scorsese point. I remember that did make me laugh when he comes back to the apartment with Linda Florentino and he's trying to untie her and he has this quick line. I think Scorsese told him to say something like he was like, it's like, geez, who tied these things? Sailors? Like he's like this quick, like, <laughs> just, like a little quick line, but like, he's funny. He's acting like you could, I, he's so like, I'm seeing him like physically like start to just like, he has so many reactions where it's like, he wants to, I feel like yell at somebody, but he doesn't like the subway guy. Like, yeah. John Hurd, he's like, he sees his out with John Hurd, and he's like, I feel like he is just being trying to be patient, but he's like, he's losing his patience because he just wants to get well, home. So, yeah. Well, that scene is interesting, though, the scene with him, the first scene with him and John Hurd, because bar, uh, it's yeah. right, yeah, it's right after, um, uh, it's right after uh, he, he witnesses the aftermath of Roseanne Arquette's suicide. So he comes into this bar, he's diffused. Uh, Terry Gar's character because she she hates her job just wants to get away so after that's happened he sits and he sees he talks to John Hurt for a bit and um, he starts basically letting it all out where he's like man like uh, like 
should I should I go go? I think her character. I think Julie Gar. Excuse me, Terry Gar's character's name is Julie. So he's like, you know, hey, I'm I'm trying to. This is what's happening. Should, I kind of want to distance myself and go home. And he's like, what what's gonna happen? She gonna kill herself? Just get just leave her, you know. Oh, and yeah. then he gets the phone call that's, that his girlfriend, who turns out to be Rosanna Arquette, has has committed suicide. Right. <laughs> just, <they> <laughs> But then I remember in my head, I'm like, okay, this is the guy that in uh, in Casino, whenever it shows Joe Pesci basically mashing mashing the, the like the guy's eyes bulge out when he's like mashing that dude's head in. Yeah, this is the guy that invited Spike Lee into the filming of that, the editing of that sequence, and they both were laughing about it. So I have to remember <laughs> this is that filmmaker. Yeah, I always think he's had a dark sense of humor. <laughs> like especially at this time, he's going through some stuff because he's in like a weird place because. Uh, I think it's in the interview again where King Comedy bombed pretty bad because it costs like he's Raging Bill. Raging Bull got him like you know Oscars and was well received. Mm-hmm. And he got King Comedy, which I think cost like twenty million and only made like two. <laughs> so yeah, and it was considered uh, one of the biggest publications. I forget what he said in the interview, oh, but he's, uh, he's still it very was, bitter. Uh, it's Entertainment yeah. Tonight. He was like has this whole okay. story. He was like getting ready to go to a New Year's party and Entertainment Nights on the TV. And they're like the biggest flop of the year, King of Comedy, and it's like no. So it's like a it's like a John Carpenter thing situation, I think, where it's like it's mm. like it, it really hurt him, and nobody wanted to work with him. And I think he, at the time he was like felt really burned by it. Um, and I don't it, nobody wanted to work with him. And plus, this is like <clears throat> shortly after the whole Heaven's Gate situation, which I think was like oh Michael Camino, yeah, and that just uh, oh. Killed like new Hollywood that just kind of everybody was like, Whoa, we should not give Coppola and Chimito and Scorsese all like all this money to do whatever the fuck they want because um, we're losing. And like King comedy lost them like you know, $18 million or more. And, and he's like in a really bad place. Can't get anything made. Um, he tried to make well, also, yeah, <laughs> well, because also, too, um, the 80s are just a weird decade for Scorsese in general. I mean, just the, yeah. the movies you mentioned uh, earlier, where uh, Color of Money, like Last Temptation of Christ, these are all either movies that didn't take immediately or they were in some way a commercial failure in some way. I, Raging Bull is the most successful, but Raging Bull was born out of an idea that De Niro presented to him, a book that De Niro gave him about Jake LaMotta. Because mm-hmm. at the time, I forget the reason why Scorsese was in this rut um, at the end of the 70s, after literally def- kind of defining the 70s with Mean Streets, then Taxi Driver, kind of coming to his own as a filmmaker. But um, he had like a b- really bad coke addiction. Oh, he yeah. might have been addicted to heroin at the time. But uh, when he was getting rehabilitation, that's when De Niro presented him the idea for a topic that he had no interest in, which, which was boxing, which, which uh, I find funny. But um, I bring that, I invoke that because that was the specter that was hanging over Scorsese making movies this decade. So like you said about uh, Heaven's Gate happening and bombing as hard as, as bad as it was and everything I've seen from still clips and stills of Heaven's Gate over the years, because I love Westerns, is a movie I do want to sit down and watch at some point, but it's also eight hours long. So I need to figure out. <laughs> I need to yeah, figure that's out been my, how... uh, I have the criterion, but I haven't ever. Oh, nice. I thought I would do it during covid like when it first started i was like i was like i should watch all my really long movies that i never watch i have all this time now and i still don't watch heaven's gate so. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm, one day i i know I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna get on that at some point but um but but that's just it so i think the unforeseen demise of that is scorsese unlike a spielberg who 
create the blockbuster in the 70s and has successfully changed that his career. He's he's a kind of a uh, Spielberg has has a different he has different modes. Let me put it that way. And and I he's awesome for that. Whereas Scorsese has kind of always been the 70s guy, very interested and grounded, delivering commentary in very ab abrasive ways a lot of the time, if not very uh, mixing it with some type of toxic masculinity or religious uh, imagery and, and that kind of thing. And so you have that kind of filmmaker who's, you know, trying to get, trying to divert to comedy for a little bit with King of Comedy and that bombs. And you have After Hours, which get i believed got got at least some critical acclaim but still bombed and then color of money which is a sequel to the hustler both of which are really good by the way i, I, I like both of both those movies a lot um uh but a lot of people are still like oh that's not your best work it's not taxi driver and then of course doing a jesus movie at that time where you have jesus having sex on screen that's gonna piss off some people <laughs> so that's one thing um and then you get goodfellas which i think is what kind of redefined him as a master filmmaker to oh a, yeah to then you new... get goodfellas and cape fear which i didn't I, cape fear is big too because cape fear made a ton of money so goodfellas yes. like, did well i saw and got critically acclaimed and like Oscar nominations, but then he makes Cape Fear, which is a huge hit. So I feel like that double whammy of mm -hmm. those two back to back. I was like, oh, that really set him back into like motion. And then Casino does really well. Um, and then and he it's weird. I feel like he bounces back and forth because then he like so he'll do like an Age of Innocence between Cape Fear and Casino, which I don't know how. Which is my mom's favorite movie, actually. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't yeah, know how yeah. it made. It's like you know, it's and then he makes. It did modest. It was a okay. modest hit. It was one of those like, uh, um, it was a modest hit, and uh, <laughs> uh, my mom reminds me of that because it, it's it's a movie that like weirdly like I've grown up around. And it's not one of those movies where um, where uh, um, because of my nostalgia for it, it's like oh, it's it's good because of the memory. It's like. I do have a personal attachment to it, but it literally like, it's one of those movies that like, I feel like the more I watch it, the more I appreciate it more. Cause there's, there's such a, and I'm not going to lie and act like I'm just an expert on period dramas and stuff like that. Like that's, I'm usually more of a genre person when it comes mm -hmm. to movies, but with that movie, um, you take the, sal the salaciousness of, that's in, a lot of Scorsese movies and you, you put it towards a PG rated period romance where Daniel Day Lewis is like, he's, a, he's literally about to marry Wilder Ryder, but then here's, here's her cousin played by uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. And mm -hmm. there's this whole sexual tension that he just depicts through visuals. Michael Bauhaus again, doing cinematography. And yeah. it's, it's one of the sexiest movies I've, I've ever seen. And uh, uh, yeah, like, and and it's one of those that I had to just, my bad, man. I had to like, just stop you for a second and talk about because if I didn't, my mom, I feel like my mom is going to drive up to Dallas and like, just like kick my ass if I don't mention that I, that, that, that I've seen, I have seen Age of Innocence a lot uh, as far as Scorsese's Uber goes. But yeah, yeah, really good movie though. Yeah. And, and now it's like, he's I could gone back and forth. I feel like it's like a one for me, one for them type situation. Like, but he's mm -hmm. been, he's been pretty good. I mean, I mean, he's always been, I mean, good, like financially and critically, I feel like he's been critically good throughout all the two thousands. Like, I don't think it's like, even if the movie didn't do well financially or do that well, he always gets like a, a claim for it. And, you know, like, I mean, the departed's like a big hit and Wolf of wall street. Yeah. Um, then he makes, I think Wolf of wall street probably got him to let him make silence, which was a huge gamble. And I don't think, 
made that much money. Yeah. But you know, then he comes back. It's like Killers of Flat Moon or Irishman. They give him all the, the streaming services now are like giving him all this money. Like, thank God. Like, I was like, thank yeah. you, streaming services. Are giving, I don't think the studios would maybe not front him a hundred or two hundred million dollars for these movies. I don't know. But uh, the streamers are like, yeah, take it. That's one good thing. <laughs> like, we complain about streamers all the time, but they have given a lot of money to some great directors to make uh, these projects that they probably wouldn't have got made through normal studio system, I would think. So, well, I think I think there's a number of reasons why for, for, that's happened. I think part of it is that um, I think film preservation is in a very interesting place with the rise of the boutique label. Because back in... Because back in the early 2000s, we didn't have, like, Criterion was, like, the only thing we had besides, yeah. like, Laserdisc, I guess, which is Criterion <laughs> Laserdisc. I, I know that's a thing. But as far as labels go, now we have Kino. Now we have Vinegar Syndrome. Now we have Arrow p- giving 4K restorations right. to, to cult, cult cinema and stuff like that. Um, uh, and there's just so much, there's so many options now for, like, how to discover films. The fact that I can watch a 1950s film noir starring the 1950s Eddie Brock. I'm I'm, I'm kidding guys (laughs) on YouTube of all things is, is, is kind of insane to me. Cause I I just sit back and I'm like, as much as I complain about the ubiquity of streaming services and, and I think we all have some valid sticking points there, but um, I do like, like the fact that film is, is so accessible now. And, And Scorsese's kind of the patron saint of that. Like if you notice Criterion every year they're always putting out some Scorsese movie, releasing it in like a new 4K or whatever. Like even uh, putting out five of his short films into one set, like that's which is which is awesome. Um, and uh, and I love Italian American. That's like just that short film. I think is one of the best things he's. Yeah, ever I need done. to see that. I really want to watch that one before we did this. Hanging around to it, but it's it's it kind of fits in this. It's way more cozy than After Hours. It's not tense. It's <laughs> it's it, it's just a beautiful chronicle of his parents recollecting about their experiences growing up in uh, the little Italy side of New York, and it's it's really it's really interesting stuff. It's it's beautiful, um, but but he's he's always talking about film and 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 that's what kind of and it's funny because when uh, one of my good friends and I we saw Killers of the Flower Moon uh, about a month ago now uh in in theaters and on the on the drive back home i was like look man like i get that we're gonna have other there's other great filmmakers not just scorsese i don't want this to be a preston only like scorsese fest it's not true but (laughs) i (laughs) clearly i'm passionate about this man and and his films and i love his laugh his laugh's amazing by the way i I love hearing him laugh in interviews but um after he he's you know he's he's in his 80s and i feel like he's going to be the type of filmmaker that kind of if he when he inevitably inevitably passes on he's going to pass on with an unfinished project what other filmmaker is going to have the unique experiences this guy did of much like spielberg and much like coppola and george lucas and guys like that where they grew up de palma where they grew, grew up in arguably let me put it this way. They made movies in the most defining period of film ever. They mm-hmm. grew up in, in, in one of probably the, the most in like, not the, I don't want to call it the most innovative, but the most, the dawn of film with the old Hollywood movement. That's very much what they grew up on. And they carry that throughout their films. And, and, and when you see interviews of them now as older gentlemen, they can be like, Oh yeah, I remember seeing this Ozu movie on TV or, 
this old western that that's now a Kino Lorber discovery. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's that type of attention to detail that makes his movies so rich, even if they might not be your favorite or your most rewatched movie. When you're there for the event, you have you you appreciate that, especially with what we know now and what we have at our disposal. And then, secondly, just the fact that he is kind of him and Tarantino are kind of our big film preservationists, like cues and arts, if you will. So um, I, I think those two traits are why he he's better received now, especially when his biggest groundbreaking classics. Um, now we've at we're at a point where they've defined generations of filmmakers, like like the likes of Astor and Peel and Eggers and people like that. So I think that's why. Yeah, I, I just uh, I mean, I think about him more lately because of all the press for Kills the Flat Moon. And I don't want to be morbid, but it's like, yeah, he's in his 80s now. So it's like getting older. <laughs> and I mean, it seems like he's the kind of guy that will continue to make movies as long as he possibly can. Um, but he's also gripping, kind of gripping or grappling with his mortality because he's in his 80s. You just kind of have to think about this kind of stuff. And but I, that's <laughs> the thing people miss, I think, when they criticize him. It's like not only is he a great filmmaker, he's a great uh, knowledgeable film expert. Like he just mm-hmm. and he's done so much for film preservation and these world cinema projects he's involved in, I think, with Criterion as well. Like he's done so much to raise up films from like all over the world that people yeah. wouldn't hear of. That's why I appreciate so much about you can knock Tarantino, too. But like they they do when, you, when they talk about movies, they talk about like a bunch of movies and like raise awareness of things and put things in people's re- we don't have a lot of those guys like or you know like who edgar yeah. wright's one of them as well like he's he's one of the last we have speaking of hot fuzz have you oh, matt yeah. have you ever heard the commentary between edgar wright and tarantino on the hot fuzz dvd i don't know how i've, been, I've not watched that i don't know how i haven't seen that before i have not <laughs> it's insane man like they're they talk they talk about the movie obviously and talk about <clears throat> edgar wright's like uh Edgar Wright talks a little bit about like, hey, well, Britain doesn't really have a lethal weapon, so this is kind of inadvertently, even though it's a parody, this is kind of what we have. Uh-huh. And then but they talk about, I think, like at least 75 movies over the course of a two-hour discussion. Okay. Like they go, they're talking about like uh like Death Wish, and they're talking about like Jackie Chan movies and old black exploitation. Like it's they pay, they like ping pong off of each other. And it's I just could imagine. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I like man. both those guys that almost that almost sounds like too much. That's like two <laughs> battleships firing <laughs> missiles at each other. Like, because they're just, they're both, they talk very fast. They have all these movies. Like, um, I will It's very it fast moving. It's very, it like, now, but yeah, it's it, kind of like was, a battleship where, like, uh, just, one of them's pressing B2 and he's like, B2, Bella de Jour. Okay. Other one. The uh, missiles are movie this, titles flying back and forth. Like, see this one? I'm like, and, like, uh, I mean, it's funny. Yeah. Edgar, I would say Edgar Wright is one of our younger guys who seems to have this encyclopedic knowledge of movies like and Edgar Wright's is he 50 now like he he's not like a he's not old he's getting he's not, there he's not like yeah, a spring he's chicken there. he's not like I and I guess hopefully guys like Jordan Peele and Astor and um Robert Eggers I, I haven't heard them talk Jordan Peele I've heard talk about more stuff but like mm-hmm. um you know I it's so I mean I just Scorsese is going to be just a massive loss for film like I there's just no I hate even talking to Ben, but it's like it's I'm gonna knock on some water or something, but it really bums me out. I mean, it's just like he's irreplaceable. Um mm-hmm. like I I just it's it's hard to even think about because like he uh he just knows so much. He throws these 
the way he talks about things is so knowledgeable um has all these great stories um he's just yeah i mean he's just truly one of like the best ever like i mean of any filmmaker any generation so i mean i guess we're, we're we always think we're lucky that like all those new generation guys are still with us even if like i mean de palma kind of still works uh like uh coppola has something coming out next year i think his megalopolis yeah. movie is still coming out spielberg yeah. still cranking him out he's gonna go till i'm sure he can't make movies anymore scorsese's he's still I mean, we're lucky spielberg's here. another one that's gonna i think he's gonna like i hate that i'm talking about death I'm, I know, I, I'm sorry guys i'm sorry we'll go back <laughs> but, uh, after this yeah um, stevie, I mean, stevie is definitely gonna die with an unfinished film just because yeah, he's seems, always producing working on yeah. something I don't know if he's technically the youngest of those guys, but he seems like he's the youngest of all those guys I just mentioned. Like, I know he's younger than Scorsese. I don't know about how much, but I know he's a little younger. Um, but he seems, I don't know, he seems younger. He always seems to full energy. But I mean, Scorsese yeah. still seems pretty full of energy. It's not like I see like a sleepy old man or anything. So, um, well, I think that's what's interesting about him. Uh, or I keep saying this is what's cool about him. This, like, there's a lot of cool things about him that you and I are just we're kind of ping, we're kind of Edgar Wright and Tarantino ping ponging about Scorsese. But um, <laughs> I knew he tried to a Mark Scorsese like fanboy festival, but that's okay. That's what I think. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, one of the one of the things I love about a new Scorsese movie coming out is like, obviously, if, aside from the selfish part, which is like, okay, if, if it's coming out it, it potentially is going to be one of my favorite movies of that year and for the past like five of his movies it's been the case so there, that's one <laughs> that's, that's that but yeah. um but more so it's more so i love the conversation after the movie not necessarily all the runtime discourse and you know marvelous <laughs> or whatever but it's it's uh it's i love the relationship he has with music and film, I find super fascinating. In fact, um, there's a great interview that uh, Apple Music put out, and I highly recommend this for anyone who's a fan of The Last Waltz, um, Scorsese's concert movie, because the interviewer talks about, because Killers of the Flower Moon was uh, Robbie Robertson's last uh, bat at scoring for Scorsese. Okay. He had been his musical collaborator on and off uh, ever since Scorsese made the last waltz. Robertson was the lead, the lead musician of the the literally called the band uh, that that the last waltz is about. And I bring I bring up this interview because the interviewer he kind of starts geeking out with Scorsese where he talks about <laughs> so you use some music in Mean Streets and Taxi Driver and, and kind of goes through a lot of the big highlights. And I kept thinking about the interview with uh, After Hours because it's an '80s movie and. So many of our genre movies now, um, especially our horror and our action, throw back to the 80s and they always have some 80s music or whatever. And I find it interesting that there's a lot of references in After Hours to the 50s. In fact, um, whenever he go, actually go, whenever Griffin Dunn goes into Terry Gar's apartment, th that first visit, um, she asks him, do you like the monkeys? And then he, immediately he's like, what's your name? And then she's like, um, you're not having a good night, are you? <laughs> like, why are you just ignoring <laughs> me, basically? That's a funny little non sequitur, but also um, I really like um, the use of, the, they, they play Peggy Lee uh, in the, um, uh, an old 50s jazz singer in that really, it's Verna Bloom who um, uh, he, he finally vents to towards the end of the movie. And 
he's like, hey, I just need a normal conversation. Can you just have a drink with me? Can you dance with me? That kind of thing. And the scene where he's dancing to, to Pei Lee is so beautiful. And I love the way that Bauhaus films, uh, he films the, the there's, it's a really great close-up of the coin going into the, the jukebox, which you don't get as much these, there's jukeboxes around, but it's not emphasized as much these days. And then it plays the song and it's just very quiet. Uh, not okay. This, the music's playing. Sorry, sorry, guys. It's late, <laughs> but uh, the music's playing. There's not a lot of motion going on with, with Griffin Dunn. He's very contemplative. The music is is soothing him, and it kind of establishes that hey, he, this guy does like art because because up until that point, I find it really interesting that uh, Linda Florentino, who's an artist, is kind of badgering him in a way with her strangeness, and then same with Terry Gar presenting the the the. <laughs> The, the the bagel that's a sculpture um and it's this weird clash of art and uh his yuppinessness um that you get from the get-go when he's working at the beginning it shows him it shows him working at at his job with mozart going in the background and i bring all this up because you get to that scene with the 50s music playing and it feels like to me and i'm curious how you feel about this matt um kind of like the the synthesis finally of like his his passion for something or someone finally colliding with the rest of Soho in that one moment that's why I choose to look at that scene and I think that adds to its poignancy and I've always I've always loved that about uh this movie I had not thought of it that way I didn't think as much of it but that's a really great point and like I think you're onto something there because yeah he doesn't there's the only interest he shows in anything is well trying to get laid and then trying to get home, right? That's like <laughs> yeah. the only things he shows interest in, um, and doesn't seem to really care about the art that Lena Florentino's doing. Like, um, and now I think like even going back to like you see his apartment kind of briefly at the beginning. It's a very plain apartment. There's like nothing. We don't see much of it, but there's like yeah. nothing in there. It seems like he's kind of got like nothing going on. He's like he's got a very mm -hmm. plain job. We'll say a very plain apartment. He's very bored. Um, and so you're like, what is this guy interested in? <laughs> you know, it's like, mm -hmm. um, and that's a, I did that's a pretty great observation. I had not thought about that at all. I mean, yeah, that like that he finally kind of something kind of clicks for him almost or works for him. So um well, yeah, and, and maybe and perhaps I'm reading too much into it. I just I just it came to me watching that scene today because I always try to look for the heart in comedies, even dark mm -hmm. comedies like this. And I think this is a pretty bleak, <laughs> bleak <laughs> film at points, but just considering just like, I was like, okay, like when I, when I was watching it yesterday and, and that kind of thing, uh, the, the movie, of course, um, I was like, okay, this is Scorsese battling something like when he was making this, he, I was I was trying to figure out what exactly what was it about this material that attracted him to it, especially because the screenwriter, the only big thing of note that he did besides After Hours uh, was uh, Vampire's Kiss, which is a very different type of city movie. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can see the similarities, actually, now that you say it. So, yeah, surreal yeah. in a different way. Yeah, yeah. very, very wow. much so. And... <laughs> It's very cool, I think, that uh, when the movie when the movie ends, uh, no one ever talks about the smile that it's like a smirk that Griffin Dunn has on his face before the movie kind of uh, 
it goes back into the I call it the Goodfellas shot where it's almost kind of swimming through the office, mm. and the, the same Mozart song is playing again during that time. And um, I always look at that smile as like, okay, this I just this this night that I just had uh, this crazy ass night. Like I hate it going through it, but now that I've gone through it, right, <laughs> I can talk about it for the rest of my life. Like it's one of those. That's, yeah, like events. you look back and laugh on that night like that, you know, like, I mean, yeah, that's I can see that. And then, well, like she did die, but there's like a, like a woman. Did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, besides that, we can just laugh. It's fine. <laughs> um, you know, besides the death, we can just laugh it all away. No, I, <laughs> but I, I don't know if he's laughing at like, I think you're onto something. I, that whole, like the idea of ending up right back at your boring you know, office job and like almost like the look of like, that was an unbelievable night. Like, and now I'm back here <laughs> like covered in paper mache. Like, like what a crazy night that was. And it's like, or just like reminiscing about like, cause his, his job seems so boring and just kind of like nothing's exciting happens. And it's like, Oh, I had an exciting night for once. Cause it's like, I, he was going home to like watch his TV by himself and do nothing. And you know, now he's back at his boring job and he's like, well, at least last night was fun in a weird fucked up way. <laughs> <laughs> Again, besides the death of Rosanna Kent, R.I.P. Uh, so it's like, it's like the kind of where you get someone died. It's like, like it doesn't. I do laugh too when that's a that was a big laugh this time when he's found her dead. And he's putting up signs around the apartment that says "dead person" with arrows pointing. <laughs> death. Oh my god! It's, it's oh, so insane. Man. It's I was gonna go back. I think. Like, I think Scorsese, because there's this whole story on a different special feature about, like, getting this made. And Griffin Dunn was actually one of the producers. And they reached out to Scorsese, oh, yeah. but he was trying to prep Last Temptation of Christ in, like, 83. But it fell apart because of King Comedy doing so bad. And nobody would fund it. So it got put mm -hmm. on the shelf. And then he came back to them and was like, I'll do that movie. Because, I mean, it's in his home turf. It's New York. Um, I think he liked the idea of some shooting something, like, cheap and, like... He could just do it in New York and like fast. I think he imagined it being like very fast paced and was like, I can I can recover with that because it's like a kind of low risk project. Did you hear the story about who was almost who almost directed this movie? Uh, No, this blew me away because I did not expect this to be the guy that came up. So Griffin Dunn telling the story about like, yeah, we went to Scorsese, but he was busy and he passed. So then we went to Tim Burton. <laughs> who they had seen a cartoon Tim Burton had done him. And I forget, I feel, I think his producer's name, Amy Jacobson, I think I need to check that. But um, they had seen, they're like, that's called Tim Burton. He's got the energy, which I actually think in a different universe that could work. I don't think it'd be as yeah. good as a sports universe, but I could see that being the thing. So yeah, because well, Pee-wee's Big Adventure was, was the same year as After Hours. And, right. and I'm trying to think like, cause, cause, because uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure doesn't it doesn't have the quite the goth the gothic um, <laughs> yeah he's... vibe that like his later Burton has because that was his first that was his directorial debut or excuse me directorial feature length debut specifically because yeah, I think I Frank and Weenie the short was before uh, Pee Wee's but Pee Wee's had it goes into surreal and 
is kind of a series of vignettes. So I think that's actually a great double feature. Like honestly, watching <laughs> those two back to back because I love Pee Wee's Big Adventure. He could have had the like zany energy. There's like a but there I think there's a dark edge Scorsese brings to After Hours. I don't think at the and Tim Burton's always had like a gothic edge, but it's I just think it's different. I don't know what it is. It's like more serious. I don't know what to call it. Like, but I think Tim Burton. I think he treats the darkness with more. Uh, there's more of a jovial element. Like to the yeah. to how he treats the macabre, it's like there's because watching Beetlejuice as a kid, I was like, this is both creepy but also oddly charming to my sensibilities, and I still feel that way about Beetlejuice. Whereas After Hours, no, it's like no, this 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 woman's dead, like she's actually <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I'm just gonna put you in a, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna dance with this woman, and she's gonna put me in a whole sculpture, and, and they're gonna steal <laughs> me away, like that's. <laughs> That's after weird. hours, they could. I remember they said they couldn't figure out to end the movie, and then, um, uh, like it's such a weird and I remember the first time I was like blown away. I was like, but I was like happily shocked. I was like, wow, what a bold, crazy ending! Like, <laughs> and they almost ended with him just being taken away by Cheech Marin, and I can't remember, I feel bad the other actor's name. Like, that it was just the shot of him fate back of the truck, and that was gonna be the end, but then they added the little extra about him being dropped in front of his work, which I think. Apparently, Scorsese showed the movie to a bunch of his friends, and the, I'm talking about like Spielberg and De Palma and Coppola. <laughs> and I think it was very quick. I think he said Michael Powell, of all people, was oh, like, "Oh yeah, he ended up back at work." And then and Scorsese was like, "I don't know." And it's like, but then he was like, "Okay, that is the right way to do it." And uh, <laughs> so, and the funny, the Tim Burton thing is funnier too because Griffin Dunn's like, "Oh shit, Scorsese wants to do this now," and it's like. I really want Scorsese, but I kind of committed to Tim Burton. So he calls Tim Burton and has like an awkward conversation. That could be an after hours, like an awkward conversation of like, hey, Tim. So, um, yeah, I know we're supposed to work together, but here's the funny thing. It's really funny. It's like Martin Scorsese is available and we'd put it, we'd send it to him first and he passed and now he wants back in. And Tim Burton apparently himself was like, wait, so you gave the Scorsese first. He passed on it. Now he wants to come back. And he's like, you know what? I withdraw. Like he's like he's like I don't want to stand in the way of Martin Scorsese making anything. So he's like I respectfully withdraw, and uh, so it sounded like it was all very peaceful, and it wasn't that bad. He, wow. Tim Burton even was like I'm not getting in Scorsese's way. So I love that story because I had no idea that was the origin of this. So um, yeah, I, I I had no idea because I I would actually um, yeah as big of a fan as I am of this movie, I would like to I would be curious to see what Burton would would do with this and how different Burton's career would be because of this. Yeah. Um, Very different yeah, starting point than Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because uh, some of the, because a lot, a lot of the, I don't know if a lot of, but some of the collaborators of Pee Wee's is who, um, it's who he carried over to make Beetlejuice. So right, yeah, right. that's, that's very interesting. But yeah, that's, that's really cool. And because I can't imagine this movie without the ending, which is or the ending that it has just because, right. It starts with the office and ends with the office, but more so the the touches. And this might have been an afterthought to match up the ending. I'm curious because when Griffin Dunn's walking out, the it's almost like the the doors that the um, the bellboys are opening they they close in behind him, signaling the beginning of an adventure. And then when he comes back after the the case breaks, right. and he has that almost cocoon like change of character. Uh -huh. um, you know, he he like wipes, he like brushes what he can off himself, and then the doors open. Like it feels like this um, Nirvana moment, and I like <laughs> the way that um, 
because it feels like a it, it, it yeah it feels like a, a way of uh uh of of encasing this arc so to speak and uh especially after because there's a couple of scenes where like it, it does feel like horror like once again like whenever linda florentino uh throws down the keys and it hits the ground and you hear thunder in the background and there's another scene um goodness i wrote it down uh where you hear thunder again um yeah like it, it's just this movie's wild <laughs> that's really what it comes <laughs> down to it's it's I it's mean... just it goes from from angelic imagery to like thunder rattling and like Griffin Dunn screaming at the sky and and uh um I mean even Rosanna Arquette she openly it's such an awkward scene too um I hate that I'm alluding to it maybe if you want to cut this out Matt go ahead but like she literally <laughs> Rosanna Arquette turns to him on that awkward scene in the bed and she's like you know I was I was assaulted once and it's just like what the the, the fuck am I watching here oh, yeah that know? part it's I was just... like wait what like yeah it means there's so many weird touches it's like such a such a unique movie like it, i like i think that's why i was so me more impressed by it in the second time around i'm like this is so weird and unique even amongst like scorsese's filmography like it's so weird i mean i guess i guess it makes sense because they're kind of weird movies but like i was surprised to hear that like <laughs> this and king comedy i was like these are like the quote like these are like the underrated scorsese they're so good like these would be like most people's like best movie and it's like you know it's just and it's funny because he really did it like he needed a win. Like he needed something quick and fast. It's still so well made. It's like every mm -hmm. little thing. It's like um, the whole like throwing the keys down. When Linda Fortino throws the keys down to Griffin Dunn and just hearing them about how they worked on that shot, like how much care was put into like that. They like basically just like put a camera on like bungee cords and like threw it down. <laughs> like, like, I mean, they just like, so it's like all this fun stuff. Like even a shot as simple as like, Rosanna Arquette like turning around and winking at Griffin Dunn and leaves the room like that shot is so cool how they like zoom yeah, in yeah because like, the camera zooms in on her and then she she falls back and then and, and then she flies it's like she glides out of the scene like right. a, like a panther it's very interesting <laughs> it's so, and when they're yeah. holding hands as they're walking uh out at night um I, oh yeah so it's it's when he when he first leaves her apartment and then they're they're um they're they're holding hands as they're walking walking towards the diner to, to later talk and um the way that the camera captures the fog that's like incoming like it, it, the way it's shot it's like it's like incoming towards the camera i'm doing all these pantomimes that people can't see <laughs> i forgot so yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah okay. so i, I I've, I've got i've got show. <laughs> <laughs> matt's like it's my little secret <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's me. um I, yeah i just uh, you know it's it's a great movie. I'm glad that it finally got uh, like a great release because it deserved one for a long time. And like now I, I don't think it'll be under. See, underrated is hard, hard work. I feel like that's people like thinking it's bad. Everyone who seems to watch it thinks it's good. So I guess still like lesser scene Scorsese, you know, it's like um, it's funny because I feel like he's got like almost like two separate filmographies. <laughs> like like it, like it's like I felt that way too. Like he has like, these B-sides that are these becoming more elevated by elevate ear. Yes. and then he has the classics that are always going to be classics that you never hear people badmouth in any way like no one's ever going to be like oh goodfellas is goodfellas is not that good like <laughs> bad fellas <laughs> controversy is like people just ranking them differently someone's like oh but goodfellas mm -hmm. like fifth and people are like i'm outraged but it's like he's made so many good movies 
he's like yeah you know so he, i feel like he has and it's it's a thing that is kind of annoying people are like people who don't know that much are like oh it just makes those gangster movies and it's like he's made he's I mean, made so much variety more he's so much variety he's got the kids movie and hugo he's made kundun he's made silence um age His of innocence Olympics. Mm-hmm. like i mean those early and gangs movies, in new york is basically a gangster movie meets a historical epic so yeah it's, right. it's he has some crossover picks I mean, in the aviator i mean he's got like name a type of movie he's got wacky comedy in after hours like a weird dark comedy mm-hmm. and king comedy is also that kind of it's a comedy but it's very like awkward and <laughs> tense but um wolf of wall street's a dark comedy biopic that's, so yeah that's it's, true that movie's very yeah. funny but it's like it's uh that's amazing that that movie has as much energy as like an after hours and it's a guy who's at that point i think he was like 70 probably making a movie that has that much energy that's three hours long and it sustains that energy for the entire <laughs> runtime it's bananas like it had um, it had been a like quite a few years since i revisited wolf of wall street and i rewatched it last week partially because i knew we'd be doing this podcast and i was like okay i want to refresh myself with another comedy scorsese movie it's been a long time since not a long time, but like, like I said, quite a few years since I had revisited Wolf, and man, that movie, I think it's better <laughs> every 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 five years or so. Like it 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 rose in my estimation on this last rewatch. I was like, wow, it's it's a three hour rocket on rails. DiCaprio is just <laughs> going for it. Like he's like doing all these things with his body and stuff like that. He's always been a super talented character. Like a leading man looking person with character actor energy. And he like goes full, it just goes full character actor in this like modern day Caligula, like, so to speak, like it, it's mm-hmm. so outre, it's so vulgar, uh, but also very, <laughs> very, Debaucherous. very, sad- but, but yeah. 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 It's funny, people. That's another one. My God, Scorsese gets this all the time. Where it's like he glamorized this lifestyle. It's like, do you stop watching the movies two thirds of the way through? <laughs> because like Wolf of Wall Street ends with like everything coming down, and it's you know, and I think just the ending is like kind of showing to me it was always like, oh, this guy's kind of pathetic now. It's like this is what he's doing is like pyramid scheme type stuff, and like Goodfellas oh, yeah. ends with you know Ray Liotta kind of just you know, in isolation by himself. And Irishman ends, like, very obviously with De Niro in isolation by himself. Like, it's like, Nursing there's always, home, yeah. like, a downfall. And the one thing people point out about Killers of the Flower Moon, and even some of his later stuff in general, is that Scorsese has kind of gotten away from, like, kind of, I don't think he was even glamorizing it, but he would put more emphasis on the violence. Now he shoots a lot of this violence in like wide shots that are very still. It's almost like he's that's mm. like he's taking a step back and like kind of being kind of more like pondering. It's like, you know, it's like he's not trying to whether it's intentional or not intentional. It is interesting because like in Irishman it's like that. Kills that flower moon thinking of a scene very early on where someone gets shot and it's just like very like a static kind of pulled back shot and it's very like not glamorized at all. It's just very like kind of harsh and like um there's that in the Irishman too. it's like it's just and back in like good goodfellas casino days it might be like some camera moves and a music sting and like um and it's i don't know if that's intentional or not but i find it very interesting to watch him evolve like that and it's like has he kind of gotten like to the point where he doesn't want to shoot violence like that or does he just change his style you know i mean i just think I don't know. It's one of the things. I have a theory about that. Yeah. (laughs) If if you don't mind me going. Oh, no, I was to say it's interesting to watch him 
watch a filmmaker go for so long that they can kind of change like that and you can talk about it like why do they do that you know so sorry go ahead <laughs> yeah well i think that's a very acute observation because i've because um because and now you bring that up <clears throat> i really do feel like um Whenever you do get around to seeing silence, I recommend it. I think it's, I think, again, I think it's amazing, but I'm also, my bias is very clear here. So a lot of those Scorsese's, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, this movie's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I think Wolf of Wall Street, that movie, I almost feel like it took a lot out of him. I really do. Because rewatching it last week, I was like, I don't think he's ever going to make a movie that that's this that's this wild again in terms of, because a lot of it is improvised and very, a lot of swaths of Goodfellas and Casino are improvised, but um, uh, but you have Jonah Hill, you have John Bernthal, you have all these different people in the cast of Wolf of Wall Street who are bringing that energy to it. And it's a three hour movie, which is insane when you consider the amount of editing that has to do, to, that has to employ to comb through all that yeah. dialogue and strain together in such an energetic way. <clears throat> I think it's easily one of the most successfully experimental studio movies of the of of the last decade for that reason. But I bring that up because after that, he goes to make Silence, which he had been wanting to make for 20, 30 years, maybe yeah, 30, long if time. not more. <laughs> yeah. Long time. Yeah. And I've read that like he part of it is like he didn't he didn't feel that he was ready to make a movie like that when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And that movie kind of it deals with violence in a way that you were, you were referring to where it's kind of like still a little bit. Um, you're, you're literally watching Andrew Garfield react to people being slaughtered for their faith. Mm-hmm. And you get to the Irishman, which is literally him. I don't want to call it an apology, but it's almost like, Hey, I'm eulogizing the escapades of, of, of these gangsters like this is a, right this is a finite end and i'm gonna show you and ruminate like an old man talking like frank sheeran actually mm-hmm. speaking to you about what he did around hoffa and all the all those things but this is gonna be a four-hour eulogy and it feels like it's paced like that it's paced like an old man and that's what i love about the irishman i think a lot of people miss that when it comes to the runtime discourse and then you get to killers of the flower moon where i feel like I hate to make this a race thing, but the movie is about race. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Scorsese, he's always played with racial politics in his movies and addressed them in very in tertiary ways that I appreciate, but also this movie is that. It's a it is a race film. And I think that plot's getting lost right now in a lot of the 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 talk about um the content of the film and how it could or could not glamorize. Ernest Burkhardt and people like that. And I think in a way it's Scorsese being like, okay, I've, I've spent this big part of my career shedding a light on, excuse me, films from other cultures, that kind of thing. And making movies about that. Let's actually make a movie that is detailing this, this, this group of people. Mm-hmm. That has that is both marginalized, but also so integral to our history as Americans, and it's endlessly complex from that point forward. Because yeah. uh, even even what they don't show in the movie, uh, I was re- doing a little bit of reading after uh, after seeing it. Like Robert De Niro's character when he died, I, I think it was the real the real guy, but Osage people showed up at his funeral, and I thought that that was 
super interesting. And that's very much mm-hmm. in line with De Niro's weird, De Niro's character's weird uh, uh, relationship with his quote unquote best friend, who was a Native American who also was murdered like that mm-hmm. or he murdered or commanded to be. And I just thought that that, and I just, I don't know. I, I feel like these past three Scorsese movies, it's like he's getting away from, and I think it's a healthy thing for him, just his his evolution as a person, as a filmmaker. He's getting away from the making fun movies about bad people and really getting, being like, okay, if I'm going to, what is my final statement on film? Like before I leave this earth, what am I going to say about movies? And I think that's kind of what he's doing through faith. Mm. Through, through age and through race so yeah wow that was that was very well said yeah I did. we didn't really talk about killers of flower moon i did you i mean i think you really enjoyed it right you really liked it. oh yeah, I, yeah i loved it yeah. okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> i did as much as you can enjoy that movie because i yeah. i don't know i this sounds very negative i don't mean i don't know if it's meant to be enjoyed like it, it you really sit with that violence for like three and a half hours and i saw people complain like it's a bad mystery that's not the point of the movie. <laughs> like, oh, no, that, no. like I, maybe that's the selling point going in, but it's like, there's really no mystery to it. And I think the mystery, there's no, the, it, it's like, you really have to watch these horrible things done to these people and just really are forced to sit with it. I don't know about you. Um, I, at my screening, it wasn't that late. I think it started at like eight o'clock on a Friday night, but it's a three and a half hour movie. I, I, there was probably 30 to 40 people in the theater. I watched at least eight, 10 people walk out. Whoa, really? I had ne- I cannot remember the last time I saw so many walkouts and people just like giving up. And it, it was weird. It was like they just and I don't know if it was wow. like they didn't know how long it was. They didn't know how depressing it would be <laughs> like. Um, I'm surprised because my screening was pretty packed. Mm-hmm. And uh, and maybe I'm curious if it's because it was at a, a it, it was at a draft house, which is kind of a if oh, people don't know. It's kind of a real history cinema theater. people. Yeah. <laughs> It's <laughs> kind of Hardcore. a bunch of hipsters, and because I mean, I, there were definitely scenes where, um, uh, I mean, I'm not embarrassed to say this. Like, there were scenes where I was on the verge of tears, to be honest, and multiple times. I mean, there's, there's, you know, Lily Gladstone is is wailing, and you feel that pain. God, Amazing yeah. performance, but uh, <laughs> I, I have been thinking a lot about, um, because uh, I am, I am inevitably going to watch it again because I am a Scorsese fan, but also. Um, I do think it's a story that needs to be told, but yeah, it's, it's a lot to sit with for such a long time. And I think right. that's, and I don't, and I don't know if, if people are ever going to be prepared for that, but I, but yeah, uh, I, I mean, would have loved if I could have been like at the exit and been like, why are you leaving early? <laughs> you know, I was so, cause I mean, a lot of it too, this area, the seat the theater's in like a very suburban area. It's very, it's the opposite of a draft house. It's very much like a the most casual theater i feel like because it oh it, yeah it has food but i know draft has it just seems this i can't it's hard to describe but like i feel like this is the most this is the place for really casual movie goes it's like i'm here to eat a meal and i guess kind of watch a movie <laughs> like this theater will never play like any kind of indie movie they play like just the big stuff and so i don't know i like a couple of these couples looked older so maybe they were like oh it's 10 and the movie's like barely half over like we should probably go um so i don't i was just so like i was almost offended i was like you're walking out in scorsese <laughs> but then part of me was like this has been a rough watch so it's a friday night maybe you just want to come eat some chicken tenders and enjoy yourself and now you're really bummed out i don't know but um 
I mean, I thought it was great. I just thought it was like, it's a tough watch, but I think it's designed to be a tough watch. And no, it is. Uh, it's super well made. The performances are fantastic. Yeah, the, I mean, it's, it's, Lily Gladstone, it's like the most heartbreaking performance I've seen in so long. And just what, like, thinking about what this person went through, I could not even fathom, like, the... That, that, and I love how the ending addresses that. Like, I don't want to give anything away for people who haven't seen it, but, like, it ends, like, that's when it really, like, bumped up to, like, I, I feel like I bumped up my ratings when I let oh, that ending sit with me. Yeah. Because, like, it ends, I've never seen a biopic end like that, like, ever. And, it was a bold, and, it's kind of... <laughs> Like back to after hours, it's like a it's a bold ending choice. <laughs> if you're talking about like it is the timer yeah. kind of switches and kind of goes to I don't want to spoil anything, but it does something that I thought was very interesting and I thought was a little divisive online. Some people didn't like it, some people loved it. Um, I thought it was brilliant. I was like, this it did take it up a notch for me where I'm like, because I we'll talk about it off mic, but I think what he's commenting on, I think what he's commenting on is a thing that I've thought about for many years that I'm like, <laughs> that I feel like is kind of. A gross. <laughs> I don't know. I, I we're dancing around it, but I people have seen it. know. like I, what he's commenting on, I think, is kind of like, oh, I'm with you, Scorsese. This is like, yeah, it's making entertainment out of something that probably should be entertainment. I, th- th- I mean, it's a movie. It's of course, the it's fact like that he said it. The fact that he well, said yes, it again. The fact that he said it is <laughs> at, at his age, like, is, is insane to me. And I'm just like, whoa, dude, bravo. And, <laughs> and there's, we'll talk off mic, but there's some other stuff in that ending where I was just like. You actually went there again in this race related <laughs> film. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 it's it's fantastic. Um, so I hope he makes at least a few more. I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> I always hear about some project he's got cooking next. I don't know exactly what's next now. I think I've heard a few things thrown out there as next project, but I think it involves DiCaprio again. He's like his new best oh, friend. Yeah. So, but I love that. Is one thing I will yeah. give Killers of the Flower Moon is like I'm so happy it gave us a chance to see De Niro and DiCaprio on screen and like yeah, there's a scene yeah. oh man I hate that I'm admitting this. I think it's played for I think it's meant to be to be in this manner but like uh after someone dies DiCaprio get, <laughs> Jesus Christ. DiCaprio gets into a car with De Niro and they're arguing and I thought that was like the funniest diffusion of of, of oh I know of yeah moroseness yeah. <laughs> ever like I I and I was like that is classic Goodfellas like Scorsese right there like that right. that repartee <laughs> yeah that was that was yeah. awesome so yeah so yeah I mean to to go from to like think of the jump I mean it's been many many years but like to think compare After Hours and Killers of Flower Moon like very different energies <laughs> but but both great oh, yeah. movies in their own rights in very different ways um. I don't know what else to say about After Hours. I love After Hours. I mean, it's it's probably behind a few other Scorsese movies. Uh, I don't have my... I was going to ask you just for your favorite. I don't need you to rank a bunch. I don't want to make this too difficult. What is your favorite Scorsese movie? I'm curious. Oh, What's it's... Your... Uh, it, it's it's Kundun. No, I'm kidding. It's Goodfellas. <laughs> it's Goodfellas. <laughs> Somebody it, it, has it, to stand it, up for Kundun. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, but that's the thing is that... because. Um, what I was going to get to at the, at whatever, like towards the end of the discussion is just like, Hey, look, like Scorsese is one of those directors. Like you're going to love based on your taste. You're going to love more. You're going to, how can I put this? There's going to be movies of his that you love to rewatch, love to revisit. You hold as like some of your favorite movies. There's going to be movies where you might appreciate or you might love them, but you don't go back to as much. And I think when you have a volume of a body of work that I think most damn near any filmmaker would kill to have you're gonna get favorites you're gonna get 
greatest movies of all time, mixing with some B-sides on people's favorite favorites list. Because uh, I put this up there with Goodfellas as far as my favorites go. Uh, like, I, I really would. Like, this... Uh, I did... Because I did anticipate you you kind of asked me for, <laughs> like, the favorites thing, I did say, yeah. like... Um, like Taxi Driver is up there for me. Um, Age of Innocence is a favorite of mine. And mm. very recently, um, it's been a favorite for a while, but this last rewatch of Wolf of Wall Street put it in my top five. So yeah, it's, I, I was, love uh, those movies. <laughs> that was up there for me. I'm trying to find mine now because I, <laughs> um, I mean, After Hours is literally, it jumped up for, I think it was behind like, it wasn't even the top 10, I don't think. I don't know. But when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, it's got to go oh, wow. up. Um but it's it. I put it just behind, and this is like going from five to one. Uh, Casino, The Departed, Taxi Driver, Wolf of Wall Street, and Goodfellas is my favorite. Like something about Goodfellas is like one of the most rewatchable movies ever made. Like if it's on TV, I'm going to stop and watch it. Like for as long as I have time. Like uh, um, and they're very basic. I like that's a really basic top five. But clearly, I gravitate toward the like prime scorsese but <laughs> i appreciate but i love I mean, casino like, I, I love i love all first, like those movies you mentioned i love them i really do uh, the first like half of casino is it's all like montage but it's astounding <laughs> like i find that stuff so fascinating with like the inner workings the casino and talk about narration my god they just like it's just de niro just tell but it's so it's so fast-paced and like just like boom 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 um, but then it's like, yeah, the Irishman and King Comedy, Reggie Bull, like these are all like great movies. Like, um, the only one I didn't like of his of his movies that I've seen is New York, New York. I've heard I've heard mixed things about that one. I think um um there there's someone else I I I I know from online who isn't crazy about that one, but but that even that one has its defenders. I mean, that's oh yeah, people love I mean people love yeah. that one. It's not even it's not poorly made at all, it's just Robert De Niro's character is so so unlikable to mm -hmm. and i think it's funny because like taxi driver he's not really likable either but like the fact that in new york new york he's like playing off liza minnelli who i find very likable in that movie and he's just such a piece of shit to her and it's like infuriating where you're like get away from me he's a terrible man and it's like, <laughs> um, it just wasn't enjoyable not, for you like yeah it wasn't enjoyable it's probably not like it's it's not a musical but i feel like it's I don't know. It's just like that movie didn't quite click for me, but I don't think it's bad. And there are still quite a few I haven't seen, like we talked about, but um, I will get to them eventually. <laughs> I feel like I'm on a bit of a Scorsese kick right now. So I want to try to like get through some more while I'm still kind of, kind of feeling it. So I own, I think Kino put out Kundun on Blu-ray. I have that because I got it cheap in a sale and like, I'll that's one of the few that I haven't seen that I, that I'm, I'm going to, that I'm going to finally check out. Cause I'm like, I, I, cause I, cause even Kundun has like quite a few fans and stuff like that. And, uh, um, I actually pre-ordered, uh, uh, this past week, uh, Mean Streets on 4K. Like, uh, so yes, I, I'm I, super, super excited for that. I'm very excited to rewatch that one because right now it's like very close to the bottom for me. But I've only seen it once, and I still think it's good. But it's like mm -hmm. compared to everything else, it's like this is a kind of a place where it's like that's a really good movie. But like compared to the other ones, if I have to rank it, it's going to get ranked kind of low. But I only saw it once, like a really long time ago, and I remember we used See? it for like a film class. Like they were like, like taking scenes and kind of showing like oh Scorsese doing this here and watch this and like it was very interesting but I probably need to like I'm gonna get that 4k from Criterion and watch it because I remember liking it but I don't have much of a memory of it 
Oh, that makes total sense. And also, like, it, it is straight from the bottle, unpolished young filmmaker Scorsese. Like, it's, it's, right. it's, and I, I think uh, some people see like the jump between Mean Streets and Taxi Driver because Mean Streets is only his sophomore movie, right? Right after Boxcar Bertha. Um, so right after the Corman stuff, um, the Corman phase of him that got him through the door essentially, but, um, Mean Streets was actually, uh, it, it was, it was actually like when I was putting together my little makeshift top five, I was like, is it after hours as number five or Mean Streets? Cause when I first watched Mean Streets, it was, a uh, it was like a year or two before the pandemic, like 2019. So around the time I moved to the city. It was on Netflix, Matt. I think I watched it like three times that week. Oh, wow. I don't know <laughs> what it is about. I don't know what it is about Mean Streets that just gets to me, but like the energy of like Jumpin' Jack Flash and like the like I I have I'm such a sucker for like dramas that are kind of hole in the wall kind of where they're mm-hmm. very conversational, and it's it's that it's that level of skill from an early age transposed into this under two hour little epic. And I just I love that about it. Like you 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 see like someone having a seizure in the movie, like going from that to like a pool hall uh, fight and stuff like that. It's just it, it's it, it's I think it really really holds up. So yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to revisit that. But yeah, plus I remember I, just that I, one was like it felt like that was the birth of like what most people know as Scorsese because it's like a crime movie in New York and there's like stuff dealing with catholic faith i'll never forget we, yep the church somebody pointed yeah, out about um harvey Keitel holding his hand over the flame to like kind of almost see if he could like handle the flames of hell or was like that was like the analogy and it's like you know like there's just i was like wow this is really the genesis of like so much of what people think of as scorsese and it's like it's in mean streets like that's just you know like i mean some other stuff but like that seems like that's kind of like i know i think he said it's kind of partly biographical like he lived yeah kind of with those kind of guys and you know mm-hmm. so i mean yeah it's i get i'm excited to rewatch it. i think it comes out next week when we're recording this so um i'm excited to pick that up Plus, it's on sale it's always good timing when it's on the sale so always always a, always a good time <laughs> they, do, I, they tend to stack july and november i feel like they t- they know people are going to be buying more so like let's really load those two months up so um <laughs> uh well anything else on after hours before we wrap up Oh man, um, I, I think it's funny because off mic we were both like, oh, "What are we gonna say about this like weird ass cult comedy?" Like, I mean, I mean, it it is like from one of our premier great auteur directors ever, and uh, and so I think yeah, like I guess my final thoughts: if you like just a like a ninety minute comedy that's a little off kilter, and with the added bonus of it being from one of our great filmmakers. Definitely watch this movie. If you haven't seen it in a long time, give it a rewatch. Fall in love with it all over again. Um, it, it, it this this movie grows on me, much like any yeah. great Scorsese film. Each rewatch, it's like because my top five could be different tomorrow. If I were to rewatch Keenan Comedy, be like, no, it knocks off after hours or whatever. <laughs> like it, it, like you know, you just never know. And I think that's the beauty of him as a filmmaker. I think the beauty of this movie specifically. Uh, regardless of just Scorsese's craft, is that it's just great actors doing great work. Um, it's so brilliantly edited. Um, I think it's shot brilliantly. Um, I'm overusing the word brilliant a lot because this movie is. Um, brilliant, <laughs> cubed, <I> everyone. Mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> really, I mean, it's like very talented people making like what could be in someone else's hands, like a very like 
down and dirty B movie type, you know, like it's, it's just made by such incredibly talented people that it's like taking this thing really kind of like seriously, but also it, 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 yeah, everybody comes in. I know sort of say like everybody was on the same page. Every actor like kind of knows what movie they're in. And it's a very like weird frequency to get onto, but everyone seems to be on it, which is like, which is good. Like they're all kind of like, everyone's kind of off kilter. Like everybody's a little slightly off kilter. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's so many recognizable faces. Like it's just crazy. And there's like a lot of people before they were anybody like Linda Fortino. And I'm sure this is like young Rosanna Arquette and Will Patton before anybody knew Will Patton wasn't pretty sure. So I mean, it's just John Hurt. Like it's just crazy. Like, um, it's very fun. It's uh, yeah, so well made. Um, it's got great energy. Like, um, yeah, I don't, I do, you know, I just, it's like when I re, re, yeah, when I rewatched it, it really did jump up quite a bit. And I was like, this is great. It'd be anybody else's like best movie, <laughs> you know. It's like, and it's like basically <laughs> right? like, and it's like so, like I, it's definitely not forgotten Scorsese, especially not anymore. It's not forgotten Scorsese, but it's like, it's it's behind a lot of other things for a lot of people i'd imagine for him and it's like it's still great it's just bananas so i'm glad we got to talk about this movie and just scorsese in general because that's what i was really excited about was like just in a scorsese mood so <laughs> i was like excited to talk about it um and yeah we'll talk about some other scorsese and i feel like i still have more to say about you know a bunch of other movies or about him so um <laughs> kundun podcast coming soon no <laughs> that's what we pick um but yeah, I, it's funny. This again, we're back and it's like a very film feast move right away. It's like, how much are we going to say? And then it's like almost a three hour episode. We wanted to keep it. We almost want to keep the length of after hours. And here we are. It's it's Killers of yeah. the Flower podcast. This is I'm so yeah, so bad at this. I said to Preston before we started, I was like, I'm going to try to keep it around two hours, Preston, just so you know. And then I don't know exactly what time we hit record or started, but I. It's got to be close to three, I imagine. Oh, Maybe yeah. it's like two no, and it's... a half. I don't know. I'm going to do that bad. But it's just fun talking <laughs> to people. I can't stop myself. Uh, so, but yes, great, great uh, episode. Come back on. I feel good. I feel refreshed. Uh, I'm excited. So, um, I mean, thank you again for doing this. I really appreciate you uh, talking about this movie with me. So, no, no, it's no issue at all. Um, <laughs> one, it's Uncle Marty. Got to talk about him. Um, so, this is my debut talking about him. But also, um, again, Matt, um, I'm very honored to be a part of the return of Film Feast. It's been such a great year for this podcast, and um, I'm just happy to be a part, a very small part in the success of this this uh, this little machine you've got going. So uh, thank you again. Oh, yeah, no problem. You're very welcome. So uh, do you want to plug anything? You've been in your podcast anytime soon? Sure. Um, so um, if you don't follow me on social, any social, I'm on Twitter uh, at P-R-E-S-T-O-M-I-T. And then letterboxed at P-R-E-S-T-O uh, underscore M-I-T-C-H. I love connecting with movie fans on both uh, platforms. Um, coming up, actually, um, I'm actually going to be on uh, uh, School by Cinema talking about um, um, a, a, another movie from around the 70s, 80s time. And then uh, I'm going to be on Schlock and Awe this month as well. Uh, I think by the I think by the time this is recorded, but this has recorded, I think that should be out by the end of this month if not but um uh yeah just we have some really really interesting movie discussions coming up and uh, i'm just excited to be uh podcasting once again so thank you oh yeah yeah i'm excited to hear you on podcast always a good time so um glad we're both we're back in the game so it's like, <laughs> uh yeah for ours we should like i said we should be back on a regular schedule uh i think 
So we're, me and Preston all this time, we're recording this on November 13th. I'm probably going to not drop it till the weekend, the Monday right after Thanksgiving. Because I feel like next week's kind of a weird week. People are traveling and they, uh, it's a busy week. And then I was like, this is a nice little holiday hangover episode. Like we're back. <laughs> like, And then I, it should be our discoveries episode with me, Keith and Daniel, which is like oh, yeah. always one of the highlights for me of the year doing the podcast. Um, and I'm going to get, I don't think I've announced this a Officially, but I'm going to get uh, uh, Preston and Carmelita on to do their discoveries where I just get to like sit back and host and get to hear about what they discovered this year. Cause I just, I feel like everyone loves those episodes. I love hearing people's discoveries. So I was like, why not invite, you know, two of my favorite guests back on? And like, I know you and Carmelita oh, have very, time. very interesting picks. I can't wait to see how many I've never seen. <laughs> I feel like there's <laughs> a lot of movies I have not seen, but I'm still excited. <laughs> I'll just be writing things down as you guys go along. Um, probably, I, I, I learned so much from Carmelita every time her and I chat movies together. Like it's, know, it's, she, it's, she does these double features awesome. every night and watches all these movies I'd never heard of um, yeah, or never man. seen. Um, yeah, she's a wealth of knowledge. So she's our Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, so yeah, you guys be back on at some point. I hope to get that out in December. Like, and uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll probably take a week off just for, I think Christmas is on a Monday. So probably won't do it. But like, I mean, I got stuff planned out. So we shouldn't be going. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, what was it? So yeah, I, I have stuff planned out for the rest of the year for the most part. So uh, we should be rolling again. I think we're back. Um, so I, I felt good. I feel refreshed after my break. Um, I got ideas. Just recharge the batteries. So um, should be back next week. <laughs> if everything goes according to plan, should be back next week with the discoveries episode. Um, people always seem to enjoy, and I'm very excited about it. So, um, and yeah, I'm glad. I hope people come back to listen. I hope. Oh God, we lost all our listeners. Uh, no, but I hope people uh, are still hanging around. Um, you can follow the podcast on Twitter uh, at Film Feast Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Maplet87. Um, follow me on Instagram, Film Feast, all one word. You can follow me over on Letterbox if you want. Uh, at I uh, should just be Mapled eighty seven, and that's yeah, all I'll plug. So yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Bye everybody.